Welcome back to the Combat Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Pika. If you aren't already, please go to combatlearning.com slash newsletter to get my intro to motor learning for martial arts so you can get up to speed on the powerful concepts we're discussing in the show. Plus, you'll never miss an episode. Go to combatlearning.com slash newsletter. Daniel Marino, fourth Don in Tong Sudo and founder of the Naihanchi Project, returns today to talk about training progressions in traditional martial arts. In part two of two, we scrutinize the logic, or lack thereof, behind highly isolated, scripted, and formal exercises that are often strung together as some pertained middle ground between basics or forms practice and free sparring. These intermediary exercises bloat curriculum and delay experience in the most practical learning methods available, sparring and live drilling. As the up-and-coming generation of martial arts masters, We have a responsibility not to pass down these ineffective time wasters to the next generation of martial artists, our students. If you're excited to jump in, hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher now and enjoy the show. Before I toss you into the episode, I'm excited to announce our sponsor, Martial Arts on Rails. Martial Arts on Rails is the easiest and most elegant gym management software you will ever use. I've actually used this myself toward the end of when my martial arts club was open, and I love it. You can sign up new members, have them sign digital waivers, keep in contact with members or warm-up leads through automated email and SMS marketing features. You can also let members and visitors book classes straight from your website. Um, You can understand your business at a glance with like really easy to understand reports. They look really nice. Um, You can easily bill clients and set up recurring payments, which I know is a really big deal in martial arts, the martial arts business. Um, Set up promotion requirements, create reference libraries, track rank. And if you need one, there is a beautiful website that's ready out of the box at no additional cost, seamlessly integrated with all the scheduling, booking, marketing, and built in. Um, It has a built in online pro shop. So go to combatlearning.com slash rails right now to get a free trial of the software. Um, And you'll be redirected from that page to the Martial Arts on Rails website where you can sign up. No credit card or cringy sales call required. So go to combatlearning.com slash rails. I wanted to circle back to the Naihanchi project because I'm actually, this has been a wonderful conversation. I could talk about all this stuff forever. Yeah. but I, but, but this is, this is, a, this is a podcast about learning. So let's, yeah. um, uh, I'm intensely interested in, uh, how you approach developing the type of, um, I hate the word drill, but like these liveness drills, these dynamic exercises that you put together, yeah. um, with, with an Hodge project, the, uh, like the one where, uh, and I just, I love it. It's so great. Um, where they're, where you're, you actually have control of kind of the arms and you're moving in for punches yep. and you're moving them around, but you're, you're remaining kind of standing and you're, and everything's kind of in an attached striking sort of kind of, sure. um, I, I have two questions. The, the first question is, um, how do you approach designing those? And mm-hmm. the, the second question is, um, how early do you start your students on those, okay. those types of exercises? Yeah, sure. I'd love to talk about it. And, you know, this is actually stuff that I'm most passionate about. I feel like our conversation so far, we've really just been kind of talking about like the past, right? About right. the way, you know, like <laughs> the training stuff that we inherited and the mm-hmm. things that we see in it, which is, is good to talk about too. But 
I try to stay fixated on the future. It's like, and I think that's what guys like you and I is kind of a younger generation. You know, we have an older yeah. generation that, and I don't blame them for it. But they're just kind of set in their ways. They like the way that they learn. They like the way that they teach through it. But I think we all have the right to be like, well, what do we want to do in the future? And that's what the Nahachi Project really is for me. You know, I come from a Tungsudo background and I, I, I love and appreciate it. I'm always going to do it. I'm always going to teach it to some extent. But um, my exposure to Abernethy and my work with... Um, with applications for the traditional movements found in the forms is a very, very big part of what I do now. I would say it's easily like 50% of, of what I do, starting in my own training, my own teaching. And you're really highlighting what you're talking about, a very key part of it, which is that so much of what we do in traditional martial arts is compl- are compliant drills. And that's true also of application work. People will take, you know, uh, a sequence found in one of our forms, right? And they'll come up with a compliant drill that explains it. They're like, this is what you're doing here. And I think that's the video you're referring to. I do that too, right? You know, I have drills that kind of map out the traditional karate kata known as nahachi, that not map out the whole, the whole form, right? So I can explain to my students what the meaning is behind every movement that, you're, that they're practicing. However, sorry. However, those drills are not what I consider like. Well, those are not the drills that I teach to develop their ability to actually fight with those movements. It's more. It's just. I think that's that's a part with application work where I think a lot of people get stuck. And I even referred to that with my teacher. How we would, my original teacher when I was growing up. It's not like I never did any application work with him. I knew what bunkai was. You know, like I knew how like. All these moves can actually be used to grapple with, you know, that that low block can be an arm bar. And you know, like these were all things that I'd been exposed to before I had trained with Abernethy. But it was kind of like it never got past that stage where everything was just kind of tickering and playing around and every nothing was done with resistance. And it was just like out of interest, just to be like, what could be the meaning behind this? But it doesn't. It, that's, not, that's not how you develop combative skill. And that's certainly not how you do it with, you know, like Korean style kicking, right? Like, how do you learn how to really kick <laughs> Korean stuff? Oh, yeah. you fight each other. <laughs> you yeah. act, actually try to hit each other with it. Yeah. You know, it's like you couldn't do it any other way. You know, it was something the founder of my organization said to me once when I first started getting into this application stuff. He took me aside at a tournament and he said, you know, like, hey, Danny, you know, Nothing wrong with that application work and everything, but what you got to understand is none of that's going to work against resistance, right? Like, mm. you know, the reason why Amcor Karate has concentrated on point fighting and why that's been the centerpiece of what we do is because, you know, it's, it's, what, it's how you develop things against resistance. Somebody has to actually be avoiding fighting. And I agree with him. You know, I agree once. Yeah. That's why I say the point fighting is probably one of the best things about my background going yeah. back. I really appreciate it. But where I disagree with him and at the time, I don't know if he's if his opinion is maybe is has 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 changed since then. Is that Abernethy? What he stresses is resistance. You know, live training and sparring with these applications. That's what made me fall in love with his approach and fall in love with his work. It's not as you can find applications. Different people showing you interpretations of these movements. You know. Across, you know, all over yeah. the place on the internet, yeah. and a lot of it's very good. But at the end of the day, what uh, what makes it really work is that you're like, okay, that was just a demonstration. 
Now grab a hold of each other and we're going to do a simple drill where you're going to clear the arm and you're going to hit with an elbow, yeah. right? And we're going to drill that over and over. Okay, now you guys got that pretty well. Let's add some knee strikes into the mix. Okay, you got that. And most likely, so now we're going to do it with resistance. I mean, the person's not going to let you move their arm out of the way, right? You need to find that opening, right? Where you move it in just the way where you created that little window to throw a quick elbow in there and use it in conjunction with other strikes, especially knees, you know, like that's, that's the kind of training that I, that I love and that I've been developing and that I think really is going to move my practice and my teaching onto the next level. It's really where I would like, I, I'm a big believer in what has been, you know, termed the practical karate movement. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I, I first trained with Ian Abernethy in 2014. And ever since then, you know, I've been involved mostly online, of course, you know, with, with that community, I'm always looking at what people are doing. I'm posting my, I mean, I'm creating my own stuff and, and posting it as much as I can. And I've only seen this community grow. I've only seen more and more people, people, especially lately, you know, the, the pandemic, I think everybody's gone online a lot more. I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of kind of like high profile karate guys, you know, suddenly they start talking about, you know, self-defense a bit more. They start talking about close range a bit more. They start talking about application work a bit more. And I think that the tide is starting to turn. You know, I really think we're going to see this become more and more a part of the the traditional, especially the karate, you know, community. That you're going to see people being like, hey, and at the end of the day, because it's a little bit like an elephant in the room, is that you know, forms are kind of ridiculous without application work to go along with them, right? And they only don't seem ridiculous to us who have been doing them for years, often since we were kids, right? Where we do these all the time. It's just like, I, you should, when you have a room full of people who have been training for decades often, who have produced many, many students who run commercial schools, and yet they practice forms almost exclusively without application, you know, it's like at a certain point, I think you have to understand that like that's not that can't last forever. Yeah. You know, at a certain point, yeah. you're like that is going to be replaced by arts that have better answers to their training methods. That's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like yeah, and I've done a little bit of jujitsu. I've dabbled in it for years at this point. I really yeah. What you know, there's always things that get in the way. I was on a I was I was getting back into it with my friend that teaches, and um, but then the pandemic hit and that took me out for a while and I recently got back yep. into it. an old knee injury has um, recently been getting in the way with that. But anyway, you know, like when you're doing jujitsu, everything has an explanation. Everything, you know, can be used live. You know, it's like, and I'm sure, yeah. you know, the grappling match is different than self-defense. You know, I think a lot of people understand that. It's like not everything is going to transfer over. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't get into a, you know, some of the guard positions that they do, you know, where someone could be raining punches down on them. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. I think it's understood that like, yeah, it's still a sport, but at the end of the day, you know, you don't have things like something as simple as a low block, right? Yeah. What do we use that for? You're like, oh, well you can block a front kick. I'm like, okay. Yeah, that doesn't make much that's sense. level one. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, and that's legitimate. You know, maybe it's, it's legit, but it's level one. Yeah. But if you if you look at the if you look at the context in the forms, it's like it doesn't make any sense. Wait, I'm stepping forward. So this front, I'm stepping forward and low blocking a front kick, as in like the front kick would have missed. 
because I'm stepping forward to block it. Right. Mm-hmm. So what am I doing? Like what? Like, like there has to be a better yeah. explanation than that to it. And um, I think you're starting to see people take that a lot more seriously. That's like, it, it, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I run a commercial school at a certain point, you know, this is business about it that, you know, like th- it's a bad practice to just be taking our students money, teaching them things that we don't really understand. You know, it's like, and we're supposed to just tell them like, Hey, you know, it's just a part of the art. It's just traditional. I'm like, okay, that might be a good enough answer to, for some people. But for a lot of people, they're going to be like, yeah, okay, well, I think I'm going to go do kickboxing because that makes more sense. I'm going to go do jujitsu because that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame those people, right? Like that makes sense. And that's why I think that, you know, people like you and I, it's like we have a responsibility to move the art forward a little bit. And we need to identify these training methods from the past that we, 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 that we just don't have solid explanations for. And that's yeah. everything I've done with the Nahachi Project. As far as I'm concerned, you know, and I'm always learning and trying to do more that, and I, you know, I don't plan on slowing down the Hachi project anytime soon. I don't know what the work I'm going to be doing six months from now is going to look like because the work I'm doing now looks a little bit different than it did six months ago, <laughs> you know, but, um, I'm confident that I have an understanding of the movements of Nahachi and how they apply to a close range standing grappling context. And, you know, I think there's an historical basis for it too, but at the end of the day, it doesn't even really matter. The point is, yeah. is that I grab people in my school, we can grab a hold of each other and we can fight with it. We can actually spar. We can use yeah. it against resistance. It's not yeah. just compliant drills, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's incredible. I think that is, so, that's just, it brings, it makes me, well, I like, I like forms. I just, I hate them as a, a, a personally, and I know you don't agree with this. That's okay. Personally, I hate them as some sort of pedagogical engine. I don't believe that they fuel your domain-specific knowledge of fighting, even as a karate person, even as a taekwondo person. Sure. Um, that I understand that is a hot statement, and there is a lot of things to disentangle from. I actually, I actually don't disagree with that. But I oh, okay. Like okay. I'd love to get into it with you. This is gonna yeah. Be great. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's. I forgot where I was going with that. Now you caught me on guard because you agree. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Why? Why? I want. I want. I want to understand why it is. I mean, I'm interviewing. I want to know about your thoughts, right? Sure. People, well, people I, if I'd I have heard my thoughts a lot already on the podcast. So, like, why? Why is it that you you agree that's not really? It doesn't okay, really drive the say, pedagogy of karate. Yeah, I would say that you could throw out the actual kata the actual hyung as in like the solo tr- the solo exercise right i could throw that out tomorrow and still teach all of the the live active drills that i do right and my students would be kind of they, and that would not affect their ability to learn how to how to fight with the movements mm-hmm. does that if that makes sense you know what i mean it's yeah. kind of like i appreciate the form in that it gives like a connection to the past Right. I, I right. just think it's cool that, you know, it's like the Nahachi karate kata, the, uh, known as Nahachi, it mm-hmm. is hundreds of years old. Right. I think at least, yeah. and, you know, I, once again, I'm not the best with the history, but I it's think one of the least, oldest. They don't really know where it is. Exactly. From, yeah. It's at least 150 years old. Like that's even, you know, like that's like the, I think the very, like the youngest estimate that I've heard from people whose opinions I, I, I mm-hmm. trust with the, with the history. 
Mm-hmm. They said like at the very least it's 150 years old. It's probably yeah. far older, you know. And, yeah. and it's about what you take statements from these masters. It's probably yeah, I think it's probably most people said it came from China, but it was no longer practiced there. And you know, you mm-hmm. hear a lot of stories like that. I always take that with a large grain of salt. Yeah. But anyway, you know, I think it's cool that we have this we have these series of movements, right, that have been that come to us from the past. We don't know who created Nahachi. We don't even know what the name Nahachi means. We know it's like there's 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 something about it that and that's the art, right? That that's why I really I really that's why I I, I keep it around <laughs> and I like it. But at the end of the day, I think that all that the the kata or the hung really do is it just illustrates, you know, combative principles. It just shows, it just gives examples of the kinds of things that you would use in a close range standing grappling type in, type encounter. Right. So, and when I, so when I come up with a drill that just like shows what the movements of Nahachi mean, it's just showing one example, right? You don't need to drill that over and over again. What you need to do is take the concepts and the techniques that are found in that drill and then apply them to live practice to some kind of resistant sparring. And that's it. And that's the important part. It's like the, the kata or the hyung, as in the solo movements, is not the important part of your training. Mm-hmm. That's like a supplemental, like little, a little, you know, yeah. extra thing that you have. And I do yeah. think it's useful in that, for instance, I'm at a vacation home right now. I don't have a, normally I'd hit my Bob target or my heavy bag. I don't have mm-hmm. that here. So let's say yeah. if I want to do a workout tonight, you know, it's like, I might do some push ups, do some sit-ups, and then I'm going to drill the Nahachi Kata a bunch of times. In my opinion, that's what it's actually useful for. It's like a little solo exercise historically when you go back to like pre-modern to okinawa you know the pre-modern society when this actually came from when people maybe had to travel around you know like by foot (laughs) to go train with each other maybe your teacher lived you know over it's like you weren't Mm -hmm. training with each other every single day it was kind of like maybe you know there were periods of time where like you 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 had to train on your own had Mm -hmm. a makiwara maybe in your backyard you practice the kata and then when you ha- were able to go and be with your teacher and maybe the other students, then you'd be practicing the actual live, you know, stuff. Like that's, the, and you know, I think that today with, I think it's a little bit easier for people to train together more frequently with modern technology, with cars and, and stuff like that. I think it's a little bit less useful maybe than it was in the past, but yeah. I keep it around out of historical interest. And I do think it does serve a limited role in mm-hmm. solo training. You know, it's yeah. like, that's what, yeah school for but it's not what's what's important you know it's like that's that's where i think that a lot of taekwondo karate type you know approaches to this like we actually get it 100 backwards where we spend a lot of time practicing the solo movement by itself we spend a lot of time doing compliant drills and we spend sometimes no time at all actually applying these movements yeah, against which resistance. is the most important most, right. most of the time actually yeah. you know they're not you know there's there's some element of resistance in your training but you know it's like modern like kick you know like kickbox striking you know type type fighting it's yeah. not like the standing and the standing grappling that i think the the forms originally meant to address yeah it's not it's not dealing with the range that basically karate scholars universally agree that karate was originally practiced in and that is more of like a melee close range where you're moving fluidly between different types of attached striking and like proto wrestling sort of movements and um 
number one, that just works better. Yeah. Number <laughs> number two, it's a it's a little bit safer to train without like gloves and stuff on. Um, yeah. There's no problem. I mean, there's no there's no issue with gloves, but it just changes the dynamic a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally, totally, I totally hear where you're coming from. And I, the way I view, I kind of still view forms this way. Um, cause I'll, occasionally it's just, you can take the kata out of the man or you can take the man out of the kata, but you can't take the kata out of the man. Right. Like if you, grew <laughs> yeah. up, if you, if you grew up in like the traditional martial arts, disentangling and getting away from all the coping mechanisms and fake rationales for why we do things. It's yeah. so hard to disentangle and get away from. And I've, I've made so little headway communicating with people over years, the same people years, me uh, too, man. not making yeah. any headway, trying to tell them how motor control works and is as easy as possible to understand terms and just not asking them questions. And they just, just they don't get it. Um, but the people way I get locked it, in, you know, I can yeah, appreciate they do, they that. Do. It, but hey, the way well, I viewed it is kind of like, I don't know if this is the correct way to, uh, the correct analogy, like, like case law or something where you can ground a concept. It's a way of saying, this is, this is, this is not simply a reconstructionist effort from jujitsu or boxing or kickboxing or Muay Thai. This has tactical or strategic grounding in karate, in Taekwondo. So, sure. you know, I look at something like, like a, like a mirrored, like a double forearm block. Yeah. Anything that's like with the hands closed is just, uh, has to usually has to do with grabbing onto the, yeah. the garment or, or the skin. And this situation right here is almost certainly, I mean, there's, there's, you know, like double blocking dumb stuff. that's not plausible, but like yeah. you can, if, if you're, if you're trying to control somebody who's throwing alternating at you you can go straight in absolutely catch right here and they can't it's easy to control and they can't they can't do anything about it mm-hmm. for me i might for, you know even as somebody who's who's like not post pumse or post kata but like yeah. i look at it as is as it has its own intrinsic worth for something different yeah which is why we keep it it's also in taekwondo it's also a, a legitimate sport too it has a it has sure. a a well-developed competitive element, which has intrinsic value in my, in my mind. Absolutely, um, yeah. But I can still, I can be like, you know what this, yeah. So this movement we're doing here where we're, we're moving in, we're getting an index on the person. And then we are attaching here so that we can easily control their arms. So they can't hit us and we know where they're at and we can start to do more movement. Yeah. This one. So you can actually find this strategy in the Pumse when you have, you know, Absolutely. Well, and, I mean, man, especially if you've done yeah. some jujitsu, you know, I imagine you can appreciate that's what I just call yeah. inside control, right? Mm-hmm. So right. there's a yeah. lot you see in a lot of my videos, you know, where I do all kinds of stuff like that. But it's like if somebody's you know, the way that and this is I'll, I'll it's always hard when just talking, but I'll walk you through kind of a basic mm-hmm. exercise that I teach. So sure. I teach preemptive striking, which is that, you know, right. I think it's kind of irresponsible, especially, you know, if you're a smaller person, right? to tell people that they can't, you know, you're not justified in defending yourself until somebody hits you, right? Well, the way that I teach it is that if somebody's in front of you and they're threatening you, you should be trying to verbally de-escalate, trying to remove yourself from that situation. But the moment that you decide, like, there's nothing that I can do to stop this from happening. This person's about to attack, like an attack is imminent. They're bigger than me, right? 
They maybe have accomplices with them. They could have a weapon, right? There's all these uh, these, these elements to it that are very yeah. dangerous. It's like, I yeah. want every advantage that I can possibly have in that situation. Yeah. So I'm absolutely going to hit first, yeah. right? I'm and there, there's some, there's it, to build on that, there's some pretty clear pre-attack indicators. Like, does he keep looking at his pocket? Does he keep sure. padding his waistband pocket, whatever? Does he keep doing that? Did he, did he blade his feet? If he blade yep. his feet, Attack is almost certainly imminent, right? Absolutely. Is yeah. he cute? Is he cute doing this and looking away, right? Because he's thinking yep. about when am I going to time this? When is am I going to time? Coming this? up on my is his buddy coming is up? He got a buddy time? coming up. Yeah, is there somebody around? Right. So these are and all these are really yeah. good attack interviews. You could tell the police. You could tell the judge. Sure. Exactly why it is you. You didn't just feel. There's actually there's an actual behavior that he exhibited. Absolutely. That yeah, made you this think. Is, this yeah. Is, this is also another reason why self defense really is i mean its own art form its own domain of knowledge you know and that's why i think there's overlap in martial arts there's a lot of things that you really want to go and there are arguments people would make you know the chances we live in a pretty safe society all things considered you know it's like the chances if you're not looking for trouble that you ever really have to fight and defend yourself Mm -hmm. probably pretty slim so i don't obsess over it you know what i mean like i try to give my students some key skills that i think will transfer over but you know, anyway, I, and, yeah, I'm always learning and I'm always trying to grow and be better. I'm not saying that isn't something I might want to get into in the future. It's just not an expertise that I, that I've developed to the level that I'd like to, but yeah, you know. a little bit goes a long way. I mean, learning sure, when, when to do, when to do a preemptive strike, knowing how to strike well, and then kind of yep. understanding how to manage close pressure. Yep. That's My like preempt- of all yeah. of the 1% chance you have of getting in a fight that's going to handle 90% of those those yeah. fights that you get into, most of them are like s- social type of violence situation. Yeah. And uh, they're not like somebody jumping out of an alleyway with a knife or something like that. Sure. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's exactly. That's <laughs> kind of fantasy scenario we all imagine, but it's not yeah. really all that. That's common. not re- that almost yeah. never happens. I think it happened in Charlotte. Like one time this guy <laughs> wrapped up uh, a couple, he came out with a knife, like five years, like six years ago with a knife and like made them take half their clothes off or something and then tied them up and left them. I have no idea what it was about. Sure. I'm sure it was yeah. really scary, but um, that stuff doesn't happen very often at all. So it's, yeah, it doesn't you know happen I mean? very often at yeah. all. And, and it's also, and you know, there's also, I think a large amount that you can mitigate that risk by just not being there. Yeah. You know, not they were exactly out, they were out super late. They like came out of the club at like 2 a.m. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not, you know, almost always you have some, it's not some, it's not like a random mugging. There's some connection that you have mm-hmm. to this person before that yeah. kind of incident happens. You just yeah. you never form that connection, you know? Mm-hmm. But anyway, just to walk you through it, that I teach to strike preemptively, right? So you start yeah. in there and to follow up, right? With whatever you hit. But if that doesn't work, what's the person likely to do, right? A couple of different things, right? They hands go up to cover their head. Right. And that's where you see a lot of these grabbing and pulling motions, in my opinion, that's stripping a limb, it's moving a limb out of the way so I can continue to hit this person and finish the fight. Yep. The other that you're off talking about is they grab and try to control your arms. Right. So imagine that, you know, I'm confronted by a potential attacker, things are going south. I decide I don't have any choice. They're about to attack me. So I'm going to hit first. So I hit with that preemptive strike. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and they're grabbing and controlling my arms. So I want to get that inside control. My arms mm-hmm. come inside, right? Because they're going to grab maybe around the inside of the arm, which prevent me from hitting them. 
But that movement that you're talking about is found in a lot of karate forms, a lot of taekwondo forms, I'm sure. It's just simply imagine somebody's, you know, grabbing my arms on the inside around the elbows. I'm just going inside right there. And it's like the simplest grappling thing in the world. Yeah. You, know, you can sure. use it to strip. You can use it to gain yeah. control. I mean, that, you know, there's a lot of these movements that I had when I was researching earlier on. I was more interested in application of, of forms that yeah. I realized um, that what I was taught as a kid of like, this, like, this is actually step back and block a punch this way and then uh, yeah. use, use it to punch. Well, actually, there's, there's a couple of things going on in like really old, like classical karate. First of all, this was actually more of a guard, sure. right? You held yeah. it here mm-hmm. instead of just being like, you know, like that, because the timing of that is just way off. Mm-hmm. This was actually yeah. a guard and it had more function than, than simply just being a block. And it also functions, um, and this is Ian Evernith, he helped me with this a while back, is it's also a dynamic, it's an emergent dynamic movement that happens in the like sort of clinch melee range where you, you get a hold of the arm and then you create a wedge, right? Yeah. So the, and, and these are like, you use this in jujitsu, you use this, yeah. like if you do your type of sparring, you use this yeah. on intuitively. You know, if you need, if there's something about the task of the sort of sparring or, that you're doing, or you find yourself in a real fight and you need to make distance, um, you're going to, you're going to do those sort type of things are going to emerge. So make those connections of what you're actually tra- trying to train and what's useful, you know, for in a, in a real situation, a, a lot, it is true that a lot of the older stuff and not all of it is, but like some of the older stuff is actually better and more practical, um, yeah, which, which know, is fun because yeah, I try to be careful about that though because you know, for instance, and you know, I don't know how how you know kind of connected you are to the whole practical karate community, but have you heard of the whole like the it's almost a joke online the hikate thing? Oh, he, 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 the, yeah. hikate the pulling yeah hand, yeah the right pulling hand, hand. It's yeah like, it's a it's a trope of the uh, taekwondo guys kind of have this karate fetish and I used to too I really I I love karate but um. Yeah. Like where they they don't want to be taekwondo, they actually just want to be what you're doing yeah. as tong sudo. They just want yeah. to do that, but they want to say sure. taekwondo. But their yeah. ranking is in taekwondo, and they can't just go and get you know a sure. tong sudo black belt. So they're they're going to pretend to be tong sudo people with under the taekwondo mantle. Anyways, go on. <laughs> but it, it, it's just a joke. It, it's a joke of like online the practical karate community, just because it's like it's one of the things that I feel like is just it's just so clearly demonstrative of the divide there are people that mm-hmm. will say that's the karate punch right that mm-hmm. pulling back with this arm while you punch with the other makes the punch stronger nah, right no exactly and, you know and and it's like one of those things we're so obviously wrong um yeah yeah just repeat it's just repeated because that was like a convenient explanation that was put yeah. up for it yeah right and it's general general Tway actually says that and he miscites a uh, a law of, of of thermodynamics for it. Yep. Oh, it's so bad, and people defend it too. They defend it. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of dev- you know, like they say, well, yeah, you know, if you're trying to rotate your body, pulling the arm in will aid the rotation. I'm like, yes. However, there's no reason that this is gonna make is gonna aid more, and it's than this, because right? your sh- because but your so- your this. shoulder chassis is exactly. the movement. This this is a separate movement than this, yes. right? Your shoulder sure. chassis. 
you're these, um, I call it a chat, I don't know what chassis, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you're being rotated by your trunk muscles in your hips, not yes. by your shoulder, your shoulder cap. Exactly. Yeah. It's a different movement. Yes, it, there might be a psychological aspect to it, but mechanically, you're not contributing to it at all. <laughs> they're, they're, they're making up a, a make believe situation where like, you like leave your arm all the way extended out there so it slows your rotation down. You know, it's yeah. like, if you go to any yeah. martial art to say like, yeah, you should pull the arm back and cover your chin, right? You're not doing anything yeah. else with it. They still rotate, but yeah. yeah. Sure. But yeah. karate guys will be like, no, it should be here. I'm like, okay. And then the obvious, the explanation is obvious to me. I'm sure obvious to you too. It's like, it's called, he could say actually means pulling hand, right? Yeah. You know, karate was, and there's historical basis for this, was applied at close range, you know, yeah. which makes a lot of sense for self-defense is yeah. you're grabbing and hitting. You're pulling, like, yeah. And that's that simple. You're grabbing and hitting. You catch, why, if you catch somebody's sleeve and you pull it towards your, and in jujitsu, yep. when you want to do something like an arm drag, you pull it to the pocket usually, right? Yep. So there, there is a real basis for pulling it towards the, up, towards the bottom rib cage or even to the, even to the waist, depending on what you need. And yep. when you're moving around like you do, and you're not hunchy drills, when you're moving yep. around like that and you pull that in, that knocks yep. you right off that. You can sure. Yeah, it can it can aid in a takedown, can, knock them yeah. off balance. It also right across the face. Yeah. And I have a very similar approach to Abernathy. By the way, have you ever have you had a chance to train with Abernathy? I haven't, man. I've been pretty, yeah. yeah I haven't had a chance to do a lot of that well, stuff, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been a hard year for that kind of stuff too. You know, it's Just like my whole he, life, basically. Even before, <laughs> that, even, even before that, he stopped coming to the United States because he he came here for a seminar and was turned away by immigration. So then like I actually started going. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? Like, yeah, That's I, weird. I, just I, to be here for like to a... make money, so he didn't have the right kind of visa. I I forget exactly what the situation. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, that he was sucks. teaching That's a seminar dumb. in Texas that he had that he couldn't make it to. Which, you know, and I actually I actually went to England to train with him a few times after that because That's cool. he stopped yeah. stopped coming to the United States. But anyway, I should say that he could say things. It's like the clearest divide with people. People will come up with these explanations for why you would do that that don't make any sense. And then, you know, the practical karate community is the simple one. That's like you're grabbing and pulling and that, and I, I tend to have a similar, you're talking to Les about this in the last episode, because you know, he's got that wrestling background. So he sees everything as a takedown. I'm similar yeah. to Ian, where I come from very much like a striking, where I, yeah. I like striking. I see it as limb control, as in, you know, like what, and the, the, the term in karate, old school karate is called Mio Tode which translates to husband and wife hands. And it's just the idea mm. that the hands should always be working together. When you yeah. fight at longer range, right? It makes sense that you're hitting with one hand. The other one's just kept off as guard, right? Because mm. you have that space between you. When you're in closer, that there's some kind of gripping going on. It's the idea, you're not, you know, you're never going to have this hand just protecting your head because I'm controlling, you know, one of their limbs with my arm while I'm trying to hit them with my other arm or my knee or, you know, or execute a takedown or something like that. So you see this and it just suddenly makes karate makes so much more sense. It's just like, Oh, why aren't we keeping our guards up when we punch? Because you're not punching from close up like that. You're up close. You're grabbing a hold of someone and try and, you know, and hitting them with their, with your, with your other arm. And yeah. that's what you're, I'm sure that's the drill that you're thinking of. And the hops is a big part of the one I demonstrated in the, in the video I did about static versus live drilling mm -hmm. that, you know, Nahachi has this movement where you re where your hand is out straight, right? Like that. And for me, that's grabbing the head. 
right? And then the arm is pulling back. So it's just putting the arm out of the way. So I'm controlling their head and then it comes up next. We have that elbow, right? Coming in. And then next in the form, the arm actually pulls down in like a low block. And I just see it all as gripping, right? That mm-hmm. I'm in close, grabbing the person. So I'm grabbing their arm, I'm pulling it out of the way and I'm bashing their head with my elbow. And it's like, if that doesn't work, maybe I grab their arm and I pull it down like more to their side. And then the next movement is a hook punch yeah. coming up. It's just, it just makes sense that, and to me personally, you know, like Les was, was, was talking about how, you know, you, you tend to see, and it's maybe what makes them like an art and makes yeah. it something that's kind of cool about the, the forms is that you tend to see in them what you already have, right? Yeah. So Les is a guy who likes takedowns. He sees takedowns everywhere in the mm-hmm. forms. A guy like Ian, you know, and me, you know, he's like, like striking. I see everything as striking, but at the end of the day, there's certain functional principles. I think that, that, that will make it work. You know, I think you have to start from the assumption that you're in close with, at least with these movements, like that's what they're meant to be applied for that close range, right. Where somebody's grabbing you. Right. And that's because that's, you know, that's what's likely to happen in self-defense. Yep. And even if it starts from farther away, you know, you know, from jujitsu, like fights always end on the ground, right? It's like there's a degenerative aspect of it. Maybe you start Mm -hmm. from like your kickboxing distance, but there's going to be a tendency for things to get close. If you fail to knock them out, Mm -hmm. right? If you're winning the exchange from farther up, what are they going to, from farther away, what are they going to do? They're going to fall in. Yep. They're going to, they're going to grab you, especially if they're bigger than you, right? Mm -hmm. So just what brings you back to this concept that, and it's a real, it's something I'm very passionate about. And I always kind of refer to it with mixed martial arts, even though they're their own thing, like their own sport. Mm-hmm. But I think that what mixed martial arts has demonstrated very well to the world is that the best, when you're talking about the least restrictive rule set, right? Closest thing to actual fighting. It's the most, the successful fighters are the ones that have a combination of grappling and striking. Right. Yep. I mean, it's not even successful to be successful in any, any more to be successful at all in MMA. You need to have some combination of striking skills and grappling skills. And I think that that's just like a combative principle that we're going to see in any kind of realistic combat. Whether you're talking about self-defense mm-hmm. or you're talking about like consensual fighting <laughs> or you're talking about a sport like MMA, you can say Muay Thai too. because They do a fair amount of standing grappling in Muay Thai. The same way that the two work together, you know, and I think that's where I think that, and it's something that I always thinking about where I would like to see karate go in the future. And I consider myself a part of that, what I'm doing. You know, I'm in my own small way, I'm determining the direction that Tung Sudo will take moving into the future. Karate yeah. as a broader thing will take moving into the future is that I think that there's a little bit of an artificial divide that it, is a product of history where we think of grappling arts and striking arts as being separate things. And they're not. Yeah. All martial arts have a combination of grappling and striking. And that was even true of the Tung Sudo I grew up doing. Our, our grappling was just really bad. But like, it's not like it wasn't there. It was just only a part of our compliant drills that we did for testing, right? You know, yep. it's like Taekwondo, I'm sure, is the same way. Yeah, it's like it's not like there's no grappling at all. It's just not realistic at all because it's never. Yeah, you know, you have your wrist locks and you have your you have a couple of basic takedowns in the formal curriculum, and there's some hapkido cross pollinate. Yeah, yeah, there there is, and there's like um, even in Olympic taekwondo, there's it's one of the most interesting parts of the game that I think there's like an entire 
there's like a little clinch game in, the, in it when oh, you yeah. get in and there's a whole people are, are gaining the rules to find ways to knock people down without grabbing them and almost yeah. doing like wrestling swims for better underhooks so that they can manipulate the body better. So yeah, yeah it's really, I mean, even boxing has a little bit of a clinch game. So, I mean, you Absolutely. can't get away from people naturally want to move in when they get overwhelmed or some people like me are shorter. So they just want to be inside. Um, they can, they can work better and be more safe from, from, you know, people are, you know, lanky people are really dangerous at the end at their end range and their end range, end range is a lot longer than yours so getting inside is important yeah that's that's definitely true how, how early do you get i don't remember if you said how early yeah. do you get your students started on these yeah so that's actually one that's definitely where i i get them started from the beginning which is another thing you've talked about awesome. in other lessons is that and it's something that um is maybe even a little bit of a divide i think in like the the bunkai application community and cry a lot of the time that like i don't really bother with like teaching the applications to specific forms you know to my students you know they're they're and you know i have a little bit of a mixed bag here where i i, I you know i teach my students because of the testing requirements i'm still a part of the same organization i've been in since i was nine years old you know my students have to test with the same things i tested with when i was young right yeah. So, you know, that leaves time for me to do the practical stuff that I'm so passionate about. But at the same time, you know, they still spend a fair amount of time learning the forms, you know, they doing one step stuff like that. And I will show them more as a demonstration. I'll show them the application for a particular movement just so that they have some idea, you know, of what these movements can be used for, you know, what they're doing, what the meaning behind it is. But I don't have them do those drills with any consistency or really learn them. I just teach them the live drill, the live, the live practice with it. Yeah. And um, you know, so I have a I have a series, I have a system for teaching basics, right? And mm -hmm. um I start off where there are four strikes that the students are practicing, right? Two of them are long range and two of them are close range. So they start off with straight punches. So you know, like jab cross, front hand, backhand, lead leg round kick, rear leg round kick. Those are the long range skills. And then they grab a hold of each other, right? And they're doing knees and elbows. And, I, and it's really the most important part with the knees and elbows is also the, the gripping. And I, the, the simple gripping drill that I have for it is you start grabbing each other's arms, right? And you take turns going back and forth, trying to put you know, like a tie clinch, two hands on the back of, of each other's head. And there's that live aspect of you're not letting each other do that. You are resisting each other. Right. And then once, and there are kind of three basic positions with that. I say, okay, somebody's grabbing your arms. You want to get inside control. It's a basic concept, meaning you want to be inside their arms if you can. Because that means you can hit them with, you know, you have, you have more striking options, you have more takedown options too. Though that's not the specialty of mine. And then I said, once you have that inside control, you want to, you want head control. Right. So one hand on the back of the head is good. Right. Because that sets up the elbow or, or the hook punch, you know, a lot of different things. Two hands in the back of the head is even better because then, you know, you can break their posture a little bit. You can hit them with knees. You can still hit with those elbows coming in, something like that. But that's what I start with, with all of this, except, except for my very young students, like anybody who's in my like teen and adult class, like that when they're white belts, they're doing those drills. And the cool part about it is the application work is already put in there. It's like, they're already learning what you're, you know, ready hand pulling hand is for they're already learning what these postures can be used. they're already learning basic gripping basic limb control 
close range striking and everything like that. So then when I go back and I show them like a specific application, be like, oh, this part of Nahachi, that's what I interpret this as. It makes a lot of sense to them, but it makes sense to them because they live drill it. And I think that the divide that I was talking about was that there's this, there's this idea that you get in the application community that they, um, that, you know, you, the compliant drills are for beginners because it's easy for them to learn what to do. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't agree with that at all yeah. because they, they actually struggle with it a lot. It's actually yep. kind of hard to learn like this specific drill that's related to the form. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for them. What's actually a lot easier for them to pick up, and I think it's just more intuitive, is low intensity live drilling. Absolutely. Like, they're not going hard. You know, it's like, it's really light. Like it's, it's a low level of resistance, not yeah. hitting hard, but that I, as soon as I, and like I said, this is all, this is something I've really introduced into my teaching, you know, just in the last year. Um, and I just saw a complete change in my students where for the longest time, I felt that I had a certain amount of ability with like the standing grappling mm-hmm. that Abernethy does and that I yeah. see in the forms because I, I invested a lot of time in it. You know, I went to yeah. like a dozen of his seminars, you know, as many as I could and trained with as many people as would like, <laughs> would give me the patience. To be, okay. You know, we'll like do some of this application stuff that Danny likes or my, my org, you know, most of the people, my, almost mm-hmm. everyone in my organization isn't really interested in this stuff. They just want to do mm-hmm. you know, normal tongue sudo. Yeah. But anyway, I feel like I developed a certain ability, but I didn't really know how to teach it yeah. to my students. And I, I, it was a bit, I got caught up a lot in like just trying to come up with like the right compliant drills uh-huh. that were connected to the forms. Right. And the big eureka moment for me was when I just realized like, forget the compliant drills. Like that stuff is just, it's like, it's a demonstration. It just mm-hmm. explains the movement of the form. It gives what? you something to visualize. I don't mean to interrupt, but what sparked that change? Were you reading like something or were you just thinking about it or how did you um, come to that? How did you come to that conclusion? Because I didn't come to that conclusion until I'd read research on it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't any specific research that really got it. It was more so that um, it's funny, you know, you can hear the same, it, like Abernethy said it from the beginning, you know, I heard him, you know, it's not like the message changed. I just didn't quite understand it. Yeah. and. Um, it was a, it, it was a simple drill. I actually saw another guy, a guy who I met at one of Abernathy's seminars. His name is Andy Allen. His his does his his page is called Applied Shotokan. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah Somebody renamed his stuff. Yeah, actually, because I think he left the Shotokan organization he was a part of. I think it's um it's Nova Karate Jitsu is the name of his school now. I really suggest his work. He's great. He's a really nice guy and does really, really good work. And it's actually funny too, because when, when I first met him at Abernathy's seminar, you know, they say how like you can kind of almost like look at a person in a martial arts context and kind of tell that they're good. Oh yeah, by like, how they carry themselves in the fluidity of the other I, movement. Yeah. When I when I was at that seminar with Andy, there was something about it. I remember just looking at the room, and I immediately like looked at him. I was like, that guy looks like he's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, this dude, funny, the like, way the way his feet glide across the floor. Yeah, yeah this guy. Something about this it. This guy's gonna. Go. This guy can kill me at ten paces. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, when I first met him too, he was just getting into this stuff. So like his background was like typical Shotokan, but like I right. could tell that he was, he was good at typical Shotokan and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to, like, I, and I, I think that that's important. I think that it, it's something I really appreciate from my teacher 
that he he gave me a very solid foundation to work from. You know, like my background was, you know, kind of typical tongue sudo, but it was good typical tongue sudo. I think that enabled me to pick things up quickly, you know, and um, but you know, I, I I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, it's it's one of those things that the things that I was able to pick up quickly and kind of learn intuitively, my students couldn't. You know what I mean? And it was when the pandemic first hit, spent three months teaching only on Zoom. And I kind of, I was just watching a lot of videos. I was reading a lot of books at that time. You know, I kind of tried to make the most productive use of the time possible. And I kind of came out of that with some ideas. You know, so I, I, I live in Pennsylvania. I was so my school was shut down from mid-March until June, right? Reopened in June with some restrictions in place, of course. And, um, and most of my students still training on Zoom, but I had some students coming to school with me. And during that like, you know, two and a half month period when I wasn't, when I was kind of researching a lot, I was reading a lot, watching a lot of people's videos. I was watching a lot of Ian's old stuff because it's funny. I just trained with him. I like stopped watching his videos as much when I started attending <laughs> seminars more. You know, because yep. I kind of felt like I had like a direct, direct. Yeah. I, I kind of came out of that with some ideas where I was just kind of like, okay, I want to try this out. You know, it's, it's funny when you're running a school that like in the day to day, it's like, I got to get my students ready for testing. Oh, I really want to improve this technique. Like you know, I feel like you don't always have time to think like big picture stuff because you're so, you're so focused on the lesson media. planning is too. It's always right in front of your face. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, but I, you know, when a forced three month break like that, I kind of had a chance to think about some more big picture stuff to address some issues that I knew were there with that. It was like, Hey, I want to do good application work, but I'm the only one that can do it. You know, it's like, I can't, I'm having trouble teaching my students to do it. But honestly, just I, it, what helped me more than anything else was just dropping the idea entirely that compliant drills were for beginners and that live drilling was for more advanced students. I think that that's backwards. You know, I think compliant, yeah. drill, compliant drills are more for demonstration than anything else. That's the way that I see it now. And live drilling is what you should be doing all the time. You know, it's like, it's kind of like from the moment and there's a continuity to it too, that I think is really great. Like my white belts and my black belts do the same thing. It's the same drills. Like really, you know, it's just maybe a little bit more intense. Mm -hmm. The one kid that, the one kid that I, um, really proud and is testing for his black belt in um, just a couple of weeks, you know, but 17 year old kid Darshan, who, who he's, he's, he's the partner that I'm working with in all of my recent videos that posted with that, you know, he's like kind of been a little bit of my prototype with it a little bit because you know he's the right age you know he's like a young he's a young young man you know he's able to understand these concepts he's able to push himself and wants to know how to fight and defend himself and all that stuff he's motivated it's not like kids that you know often you know there's more they're teaching you know them discipline and focus and Mm -hmm. all that stuff you know that's a part of martial arts too and at the younger ages i mean that's what the kids really need but it's more the teen and adults when it start to be like okay you know let's talk about like let's real fighting you know let's talk about like what we really want to do here but i feel like he the longest time i could i I struggled to teach him and his peers the other teenagers to really do this stuff but once i started just consistently doing live drilling every class like we still do our forms you know it's like we still do one step sometimes you know because they're their requirement but i'll start my class the first thing that we do 
are some basic live drilling like that. And we yeah. just do it ev- every class. And it's made a big difference. Suddenly, you know, they're getting it and they understand it. it's live drilling and pad work. You know, it's like that is the direction that I've gone 100%. That mo- and it's what I believe is the most effective training approach is that most yeah. of your time is spent on live drilling. And because if you're a striker and hitting pads, mm-hmm. 300, then, 300% agree. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and then to supplement that, you know, maybe we have some solo because they're traditional. And I, I love, I do, I, you know, we talked a lot about the history. Like I do think the historical aspect of it is cool. So we do have the forms we practice on our own, on their own. But that's really it. I mean, and I mean, I talked a little bit about Muay Thai, man. I mean, like you go to, I, I, I have this Muay Thai gym I've been, training out a bit and they're like they're really good fighters there but it's like from the beginning that's all that they do you know that they, they do a shadow boxing warm-up and then you hit pads for the whole time and then sometimes yeah. at the end you'll end either with some conditioning like some exercise or you'll spar you know it's like mm-hmm. and that's the typical class there that's the whole thing and i think that it's it's one of those things that hits you hard that it's so simple and it's so obvious and it's like what like why do, how do we end up with this weird training methodology that prioritizes like punching and kicking in the air? Like, mm. how does that end up being the norm? Yeah. Like, how does that happen? Yeah. Because yeah. It's, it's just so backwards. It's like a little bit of cunt punching and kicking in the air, like shadow boxing, right? It's like, yeah. it's not a bad thing. It can help to supplement as a supplement, though. It's not the main, like for whatever reason, karate, taekwondo guys, I'm sure a lot of Chinese martial arts too. It's like, that's the main thing that you do. You line up and everyone does it in the air. And then, and and my rationale used to be, they're going to develop bad habits on, on the back. So they got to do it in the air first. That's stupid. That's a cope. That's not true. It It isn't true. I never tested it. And I never even thought it might not be true. It's It's not true. (laughs) And it's not good for your joints. And people say, well, you know, he may, whatever. But Les Puga, he said, he was like, he's like, he's like, even proper kime isn't good for your joints. Yeah. Because you have to generate force and then stop it really quick. And that's tough on your joints. And then here's the other thing the research on what's called an, an external focus of attention, and this goes back to like motor control. Yeah is unanimous like gravity level scientific proof that an external target that you have to you know organize toward creates far more accurate effective uh efficient movement than imagining something and doing it in the air yeah yeah. Especially with kids, right? And 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 like with Absolutely. the ecological and the dynamical system, all that kind of stuff. So there's this idea that 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 humans are there's a there's a great degree of self-organization that goes into motor control. So when I give you a task constraint, like one of your Nihanji drills, right? And yep. you understand where the target areas are um, and what the rules of engagement are, the affordances, that is the um the opportunities to move and attack present themselves as you practice it. You're going to make mistakes. The more mistakes you make starting out, the less you'll make later because you'll understand what is a false cue to move and what is a, is a genuine cue to, yeah. to move. And um, 
when you have even a target to organize towards, the quality of the kick will immediately be so much better. And if you just let them kick with minimal feedback, they're going to start self-correcting fairly quickly instead of hitting them with this endless torrent of um, just minute feedback on someone yeah. kicking in the air about their knee angle and when they're letting go, the, the unhitching the chamber and rechambering and how far away the heel is from the butt and curling sure. of the toes and pushing out the, the you know, that just this end, and, and, you know, that's terrible for motivation. It's terrible for learning. It's terrible for transfer and retention. Yep. Um, if you just get a target and move around a little bit, and one of my friends does this with, with his people when they first start out, you immediately, in my opinion, and you're doing this too, and you, so you agree, and I, I'm super happy to hear that, and I hope more people move towards this. Yeah. Just get people organizing towards an external target they can actually hit so yeah. they understand, they, act, they genuinely understand targeting, and then move around a little bit. Yeah. So they have to follow you. So they start to learn to kick in context yeah. of dynamics, right? Moving. Yeah. It's different when you're doing basics from your one stance, right? Yeah. Versus managing movement, which is what, what, what competent karate and taekwondo people are actually good at, is moving and kicking. Yeah. Why not try and get them good at that immediately? Why do we have to? Why do we have to push them through this contrived uh, kibon, uh, yeah, one step, you know, pumsei's young thing, where like everything is towards building better pumsei, and then somehow we're supposed to jump to to sparring? Sure. Hey, Matt, like you're, I mean, obviously we're on the same page here. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's like seeing the glitch in the matrix. And that's why I always go back to them. It's like, and why I guess the history kind of fascinates me is this. Like, how did it end up that like, honestly, like the worst way probably to learn how to hit something is to practice not hitting something with a movement that's similar, right? Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. you know, how did that end up just being what's normal? <laughs> like, how, how did, and that's the historic, you know, that's what they say. The karate went from being, you know, like this local indigenous art to an island with not that many people to being to Funakoshi, Kichin Funakoshi, the father of modern karate, the founder mm -hmm. of Shotokan, having literally thousands of students in Tokyo. Yeah, where he was teaching like like there were the, the you can see the yeah. pictures of it like yeah. a room of like literally like more like a hundred people training in a room together. Yeah, that's like, like that's that. like military mass training convention. Yeah. That's where that comes from, right? That's I, that's that's a market that that period of time like Enko Otosu and Gichin Funakoshi, the 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 basic karate pedagogy was changed significantly yeah. from a few people that trained more individually to masses of children and college kids and adults yeah absolutely. and how, how else do you check people's technique well it's easy to put them in the line watch well, what and they're there's doing also, there's also this idea that you know they were trying to promote karate much more as a method like as a exercise you know as yeah. like for help yeah like even to the point that like they want and this is where i like i said i, I i'm always trying to learn more and to have a better grasp of the history mm -hmm. but that's the way that it appears to me that it almost seems like it might have been deliberate. Like they deliberately made karate less functional, less useful for fighting because they wanted to promote it as this like aesthetic yeah. art 
that yeah. would you know make better recruits for the imperial military honestly yes and there were there were writings yes. people would say that you know like and they understood these people you know like that you know they, or they weren't punching and kicking on the battlefields like how how is this going to help create better recruits for the imperial military yeah. oh well it's going to teach them to make them discipline. tough yeah. yeah make them tough teach them discipline teach them rank and file teach them to obey authority without question mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know it's like these are all and suddenly when you see it's just so it continually baffles me that yeah. like we just inherited yeah. this that this yeah. is all just inherited you know like my teacher and uh, for all the love and respect that i have for the guy it's like you know he didn't just come up with the way that he taught me out of nowhere you know it was something that he inherited it was given yeah. to him and it was gave it to me and there's just so many steps on that ladder of people i feel like not really critically analyzing what they're doing they just take certain things for granted and i don't you know uh, to give you like a generational thing because you and i are the same age right it's like Mm -hmm. between me and my teacher i feel like my original teacher you know it i feel like mma and you know he was training in the night you know in the 90s and stuff so mma was a thing back then but it wasn't like it was for us it was Mm -hmm. phenomenal i mean you know like Karate is a joke. <laughs> you know, it's like Taekwondo is a joke. People look at it, they're like, yeah. oh yeah, that's, you know, cute and all, but uh, that's not real fighting. That's, like, that's for kids. Kids do exactly. that so they get and confidence. The, yeah. And the thing that like, and for the longest time, I was like, oh, you just haven't met someone who's really good. And there's some truth to that. As in mm-hmm. like, it doesn't mean there aren't people, there absolutely are in karate and Taekwondo that can fight and really can, even though they have this bizarre, weird training methodology. Like mm-hmm. they still, you know, by virtue of their own hard work or their own, you know, innate they usually talent. have a pretty extensive competition background, right? Exactly. Yep. And almost always. Yeah. Almost always, you know, and it's, but it's still one of those things that it took me a long time to actually fully accept that. It's like, that's actually, that's right. You know, it's like, it is kind of like, and I, I started as a kid and it was really beneficial for me. I loved it. You know, I felt a lot of it taught me. It taught me just these lessons that I feel have shaped me as a person, like the concept of delayed gratification, the idea that like working really hard right now will lead to benefit in the future. It's like you sacrifice now. It's like this karate class sucks. It's kicking your ass. You're tired. You don't want to do it, right? But you're going to because you want to be better. It's like, that that's a that's a lesson I internalized through martial arts, one hundred percent. It has nothing to do with how actually effective you know the training was at the time. It was just the mental aspect. So I can appreciate that, but I feel like I uh, our generation has been forced to really self analyze on a mm-hmm. level that the, te- the the teachers that came from before us just simply didn't have to. You know, it's like, I remember even when I was a teenager, people would still say, so I'll just wait until someone who can really kick, you know, like Korean style, who can really spin, who's really good at pumping the front leg, double kicks, wait until they get into the, into the UFC, then you're going to see, mm-hmm. you're going to see that it really works. Yeah. So that, yeah. like, and I remember even as a 16 year old being a little bit like, like, why haven't they already been like, yeah, yeah. making money. Like, well, they know, all ended up. They all ended up in American kickboxing, so it did get in there, but not sure, quite, absolutely. not quite with the fidelity that we would like. As, as well, and you know, and yeah. it's not that like specialists. Like, and I know the fighters. I'm sure you're you're thinking about, you know, I'm not, you know, but like you know, you have your Wonder Boys, you have yep. you know yep. Barboza is a good one. Ben, you know, Benson Henderson, I think was a little Henderson. bit older fighter. Yeah, Taekwondo, yeah. 
like it's not that it doesn't work, but it always works in conjunction with grappling skills that they acquire in that training in conjunction yep. with more like kickboxing type punching. Yeah. And, you, and you know, even George St. Pierre has a Kyokushin background. He still puts on the gi sometimes. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually something that really makes me appreciate the kicking too, man. That like I used to be, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, how familiar you are with like Shotokan and stuff like that. Like yeah. Pretty, pretty familiar. I, I was, all I really like it. Perfect punch. Right. You know, and yeah, the whole thing. like I'm yeah. kind of like, I used to think that like, you know, karate hands were good. And anymore, I'm kind of like, yeah, I used to think so I've, too. And now I'm like, they're yeah. not, they're, they're not really actually. not. They're really they have, not they have kind stuff. of a good, like chasing punch and that's it. Yep. Yeah. The, you know, the, uh, like, like, the oi the ski, the or whatever they call it. Sure. And like, and like a, good, a good punch rush, you know, definitely yep. is, that's has it. value, but at the end of the day, the rest of it is, you're comparing it to like a boxer though. You know, it's like, it's, it's a different level with that. I mean, hats off to the Koreans, honestly. Like that's why I said I was really excited when I realized when I was listening to podcasts that you're a Taekwondo, that you're a Korean stylist yourself. Is that it's like if there's something that I do think was actually like really really good about my training from the beginning, other than of course like doing a lot of kicks in the air. It's like one way or another, I developed like a pretty a pretty high like a level of kicking that, in my opinion, measures up. And I'm not like a world class and at, at, at that even, you know, but at the same time, you know, like I can go train with like guys who are professional fighters mm-hmm. at this like Muay Thai gym. And I mean, they'll box my head off. Right. But yeah. I can hit the pad just yeah. as hard as they do. And when we spar, I can kick them in the head. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. these are, these are things that do transfer over. So I think that the Koreans, and I, I think it has a lot to do maybe with the way that the sport was embraced by the Koreans a little bit more as in Taekwondo, literally it is a, an Olympic sport. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, sports hammer things out is that the end, like if it wins competitions, you know, then it's going to move forward into the future with that. But it's something that I really appreciate about the Korean karate, you know, I, Tung Sudo, Taekwondo in general, that I do think that the kicking ability overall is pretty good that, that, that those arts develop and, you know, I yeah. don't know if I'd say the same thing. And again, I don't know if I have the expertise for it. You know, I'm sure there are there are plenty of very good kickers that come from Japan, from you know Shotokan background, other karate backgrounds. Yeah. But I Kyokushin just don't think guys. that. Yeah. Sure, Kyokushin. I I don't think it's quite as common as it is in Korean martial arts. I mean, kicking's our thing. You know. Yeah, it it, it definitely is. And I think karate's definitely kind of stole some of our some of our mojo. <laughs> Absolutely, in, in yeah. America well, I mean, from the, the cross pollination. Yeah, I mean, we all train together, right? I mean, if you mm-hmm. watch like the Olympic karate they're doing now, where suddenly hook kicks are everywhere, it's just like you know, yeah. it, even when I was like a teenager, you know, I, even I remember in my training, like I remember that being because my teacher did Shotokan, you know, I was part part of. It's not like the hook kick was something that wasn't known, but the way the it way was uncommon, it, yeah, it was uncommon, and also the way that in, in like the the KWF, you know, Olympic style point karate they're doing now i mean they're like pumping the front leg and doing all this kicking that's familiar to us in the korean as korean stylists so Mm -hmm. you know it works in that context yeah yeah i think that olympic taekwondo kicking for what how people critique it for some for some reasons i don't think they usually critique it from a place of knowledge i think it's if you combine it with a little bit of the more older dynamic stuff out of olympic taekwondo it's kind of the the top top like cutting edge kicking 
yeah, strategy and technology. Like what we do with the cut kick and the front leg is just leaps and bounds beyond what anyone's doing. I mean, and I'm sure you know far more about this than I do, but I've seen some critiques of the electronic equipment that they use. Mm-hmm. And I think that there might be some legitimacy there. For some, like, yeah. I've, I've gone back and I've looked at like the first Olympic Taekwondo 1988. Yep. I do it the way those guys are. It's nasty. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, if you look at that and you're like, oh, those fat kicking isn't that good. I'm like, well, you just don't know that much about kicking. <laughs> yeah. No, you really it's, don't. And it's funny it's that like, this, this critique is yeah. coming from masters inside of Taekwondo, but they yeah. they don't understand what's going on with the front leg when they're doing cut kicks. And they don't understand the power behind these um, quick round kicks and stuff. There's a threshold yeah. on the hogu, the electronic yeah. hogu. Yeah. And just because the chamber isn't as extravagant as mm-hmm. uh, a very traditional type of Taekwondo kick, they found ways to make their movement so efficient that they can hit these pretty high uh, poundage thresholds on the hogu to score. That stuff, yeah. that stuff hurts. Pe- you know, occasionally people's ribs get broken and sure. um, it is hard. It does hurt. And if you, you haven't sparred with a high level, um, you know, someone of, of maybe national level, at least, uh, skill in, in Olympic Taekwondo. If you think that you're getting tapped, right. You're not getting tapped. I I've done this training with kids, no names in clubs. You're not getting tapped. You know, you're not getting tapped by those kicks. And, um, the Hogu is just displacing the force. It's not absorbing it. It's only, you know, (laughs) it's, you know, like these, these people just, it's like, they've never done it before. They only ever get it yeah, once or well, twice and under yeah. like low conditions, never competitive. Conditions. Exactly. And they don't yeah. understand. They would get, they would get, they would get systematically dismantled by an Olympic fighter if they did a sparring sure. match. Yeah. No. And I mean, I say like, and like just the t- like my own kicking ability, I would too. <laughs> Those people would absolutely destroy. But <laughs> I feel like my background in it, I at least am able to identify like, I'm able to look at what they do and be like, it's kind of like boxers, man. It's that like when you devote all of your training Mm -hmm. just to one skill like that, you're going to develop something pretty special, you know, at the end of the day. Now, of course, and this is what people would say though. They're like, yeah, but a lot of what those guys are doing works well because they're fighting someone else who's also a kicker. So like, you know, they're kind of both want to stay at the same range. You get somebody who's going to come in and grab, you know, like they're a grappler, of course, they're going to probably have trouble with that. You know, so, you get, so I'm not saying that it's like, I'm not saying that the approach that maybe gets developed through that, which is that, you know, you're going to only know how to kick, but your kicking is going to be like crazy good. You know, I don't, like, that's not something I want for my training or my students, but I can appreciate, I mean, you have to be able to appreciate quality, you know, at the highest yeah. levels like that, you know, yeah. like, I think sometimes we just get, you know, I'd never want to be that person that's just too, just analyzing everything to death and just trying to find, <laughs> just trying to find yeah. reasons to dismiss something and be like, it's not yeah. that good. It's just like, no, like I watch high level Lunga Taekwondo guys and like that is the, the nastiest kicking I've ever seen. Sure. You, you could, it's a little bit of an open question. They'll put him in a kickboxing match with a guy that's, you know, allowed to punch. It's going to have to adapt a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. What's going to happen? Yeah. But like, you know, I don't know. You know, I just say it a little bit from the perspective. And you know, I, I have a little bit of practical knowledge with this too, that, you know, I've, I've done a couple of months of Muay Thai. 
mm-hmm. with these guys. So I've had a chance to um, practice some kicking against. Yeah, I've done, of course, friendly karate training against people who weren't Korean stylists. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of known that like the kicking is a little bit different and, mm-hmm. and effective for what we do. Mm-hmm. But it was cool to be practicing with guys who also know boxing and to see that kicking still measure up. And it's kind of like, of course it does. You know, it's like, it's like at the end of the day, and I say that with full humility as in like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to misrepresent here. Like this gym that I go to, I mean, I'm a lifelong martial artist. I'm 30 years old. I consider myself kind of at my prime. And I mean, like I was training with 16 year olds that would beat the crap out of me, you know, and um, it's humbling, you know, it's good to, and it made me understand my own, background a little bit better it's like yo man like a lot of what i've done is nothing really to do with fighting it's the art you know like how many hours of my training have i spent just drilling forms just drilling them over and over again where you know like you get these guys they walk into a muay thai gym like all of their training time is spent like hitting pads or sparring or doing you know like except for warm-ups right and then and then like conditioning on top of that like that's you know and I think that it's something that's a really important point is that narrowing your focus to like key important things. And this is true of like Olympic Taekwondo. It's also, I would say, true of Muay Thai. You know, for instance, like I'm sure if I got in there, even with some of the professional fighters, I don't know, you know, like, and let's say it's like no boxing allowed, no clinching allowed, just kicks. And I'm, suddenly I'm fighting with guys that don't spin, mm-hmm. don't, that don't. Mm-hmm. You don't use a quick front leg. With don't stuff switch. Like don't switch legs. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. I'm suddenly going to be at an advantage. You know, yeah, with that too. But I can appreciate though that you know, I think that a lot of traditional martial arts you end up being like a jack of all trades, where it's like, yeah, I developed my forms to a pretty high level, and I've done a lot of point fighting, and I've hit the pads a lot, and I've done. Like you sound like, and oh, I do breaking, and I do one yeah, step, and I do self defense. <laughs> but then you go to a Muay Thai gym, it's like, oh, all that I've really done is hit pads and spar. <laughs> it's like, yep. and I'm a much surprise, surprise. I'm actually a much better fighter than you are because I've had that narrow focus to my training. That you know, it's like it's very specific. You know, and they're in, and they're in better shape because all they do out is is like spar, hit pads, and jump rope. <laughs> so yeah, their cardio absolutely. is better. And they're, yeah. and they're, and they're, and like their joints are more adapted to the force of hitting. And it's like, I was like, oh no, what is, what is, I feel like as much as I love Taekwondo and like traditional martial arts and stuff, it's like retarded my development as a martial artist. It's my sparring is just not where it should be for a fourth done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just spent way too much time doing forms and there was nobody there. There never was anybody there to tell me otherwise. I had to find out yeah. myself. By doing research, and then and then I found people like Ian later. Now I've known Ian. Actually, I've actually known about Ian for a long time, but I've known him since like really, really early days. And I didn't follow everything he did, so I didn't catch the intricacies, like you were saying yeah. before. Like you didn't understand everything he was teaching, so I didn't catch the intricacies of the point behind Kata Base Sparring, right? Yeah. So a lot I was aware in. of him, but he didn't influence that. I had to like claw myself out with. Got, like going through school, learning about, I did a, a degree in like teaching and learning and then in, ending up in motor learning and then slowly and painfully learning more about motor learning, finding my way to this newer re- body of research. Yeah. Where, where basically the, the, where basically the thesis of this modern research is that 
almost everything we've done traditionally is wrong for sports, yeah. to martial arts, our approach to learning in general is uh, artificial and um, not in, in accordance with the, the general natural human learning process. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a journey. I, I hope that yeah. our generation, I guess millennials for the most part, uh, can act as a, like a, oh, I don't know what to call it, kind of a cutoff point. Like Ian's generation is kind of a bridge yep. where they got, where it's, we were, they were like beginning to break through the, the roof of, of tradition. And then we're like shedding the stuff that, you know, and like actually setting the framework for future generations. Yeah. Oh, we're man, actually giving good. something more tangible, like a framework for people to work with. that's practical and actually has specific scientific basis and not just, you know, more like platitudes, like what well, you, tra- you, you know, you train. You, you fight how you train. If you don't fight live, you're not, you know, which is a perfectly good statement, but it doesn't explain why it's important. It doesn't sure, understand no. the dynamics. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And I'm right there with you that I actually feel exactly the same and that I feel that I'm a competent martial artist, but I feel that the more that I learn, the more that I see the deficiencies and, and you know, like I, I never want to be critical of my teacher specifically, or even my organization, because these things are bigger than individual schools, individual teachers. And like, this is just, it's like a cultural thing. It's like, it's just a part of, this is just the way karate has been done. It's, we all inherited it, you know, it's a, but I it's a business to... model now, which is, sure. this is an insight I had recently. Yeah, It's easy to teach this way. Mm-hmm. So people get, people kind of get lazy and curmudgeonly as they, martial artists, they well, get, you know, their waist grows, but they still sure. put the key on and, it's well, easier to do. Historical. It's easier to teach. It's it's yeah. historical. It's easier to teach. It's easier to systemize to your instructor, so you don't have to teach as much. And it's easy to 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 run a business model through. Well, you know, you the next tier of yeah. stuff is extra money. Once yep. you get to the end of the forms, you start doing weapons forms, and then it's not about how good you get at any one thing. It's about driving people through the curriculum until they quit two years later, or sure. become an instructor, and that's the business model and that's how you make your money. And yeah. that's hard to fight. That's really hard to yeah. fight. And, you know, to tell you the truth, man, it's like by design, maybe a little bit that, you know, I think that a lot of these changes from people like Itosu and Funakoshi were meant because it was being taught to kids, yep. you know, and listen, I mean, March, this is my living, you know, this yeah. is uh, my livelihood. I make, I make my money as a teacher. And I appreciate that, that I think that, and it goes back to a lot of what we're talking about. It's never good to give your students bad habits, right? Mm-hmm. However, when majority of my students are kids, right? And I mean young kids, like under 12, you know, it's like what kind of training actually suits them best, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there are a lot of things about the way that I was originally taught that do measure up in that context specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the direction that I feel that I've been going as a teacher. It's that for the young kids, I teach them not the same, but very similarly to the way that I was taught growing up. But I think that there needs to be a change at the teen and adult years. And that's when you have to, I think it's my responsibility as a teacher to be better for my students in that way, but actually understand how fighting and self-defense work and actually be, you know, teaching them skills that are going to transfer over to stuff that there's nothing wrong 
this my view with you know teaching like young kids that it's just like hey this is mostly about you learning how to focus how to have good discipline how to work hard and the physical skills that i'm teaching you are all that they're doing is setting a foundation right that we're going to build upon later on if you decide to continue training with me as an adult as a, you know as a teenager an adult as a young adult Moving forward, that's I think the direction that I've very much been going, and I think that there's yeah. some historical basis for the, like all these changes that we see. I think that was, you know, where I say like, how did we end up in this point where most of the training is just forms solo going through? You know, I think that they were put in place by teachers in the past for that specific reason because it was being taught to young people, it was being taught as exercise, it was being taught yeah. as you know conditioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, of course, you know, they, they didn't get it like right the first time as in you'd never want to be teaching bad habits to your students. Something that I don't do with any of my students really anymore is a lot of just like air kicking. Yeah, I'll have to do slow motion kicking, like using the wall. I wouldn't be surprised if you've done a fair amount of that yourself, you know, just oh, from the it. wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they're not never going. They're not going fast. Just to build up the strength in the hips and stuff mm-hmm. like that to, to develop that. Um, oh yeah, leg, de- leg oh, yeah. dexterity, which I yeah. think is something that the it's a great way to like. eat up six minutes of class. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and it, it strengthens their body in the way that, like, I'm teaching you to move your legs like arms. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's yep. a specific skill that. Oh yeah, for in, sure. In terms sure. of just like standing in lines and marching down the school and doing all these kicks in the air anymore, as a teacher, I'm like, we should be doing this on a pad. It's like, like, and that's, that's the direction that I've gone. You know, my classes mm-hmm. where it used to be, we'd spend so much time doing just things in the air. Now it's like the time that we would spend practicing technique, like in the air, it, we, we practice hitting a target with it. And I think it's yep. just such a better, it's such a better way to go. Yeah, it, definitely. You know? Absolutely. But I, I agree with you, man, just to, to fit on your point that like, I was, I was trying to get this point across that it, um, I try not to get hung up on um, feeling that, you know, because I don't know, I, like, we're, we're both still young and we can determine where we want to go in the future, you know, but I do feel like I have a lot of injuries from like point fighting and stuff and just years of, you know, I, I invested a lot of, a lot of my life in these training methods that I no longer believe in. And it's a bitter pill to swallow to be yes, like, hey, you is. know, the point, the point of all of that was figuring out that it's not good and choosing not to give it to the next generation. You know, it's yeah. like, that's not, <laughs> that's kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but it's the situation I find myself in. So I'm going to make the best of it. You know, it's like something I'm really passionate about, which I think what you were talking about, about like being a Brit, you know, the generation before us being kind of a bridge to practical martial arts and that our generation, if it chooses to, are the ones that are going to change the traditional arts to make them yeah. maybe closer to their roots and more practical. It's something I'm really passionate about that I think that, you know, what I'm doing is not combat sports. I appreciate combat sports. I cross train in it. I, I, I think that that has a lot to offer. I think that traditional artists should learn from it, take those in. And the main influence I think you take from it is just like live drilling is everything, right? Like that's what yeah. successful athletes do. Is yeah. that, and then we take that and we bring it back. And, you know, because just use my exam, my experience at a Muay Thai school, for instance, there are like, and there are all kinds of people that train there. It's a great gym. I love the place. I love the guy that runs it. The place is called Rami Elite in Philadelphia. And um, 
I love the whole community there. I think that I've been really, really happy with the training. Anyone who might be listening to this who's in Philadelphia and looking to get into Muay Thai, Rami Elite is where you want to be. Like they are <laughs> good school to be at. But at the same time, you know, I can't help but feel like, you know, like all athletics, you know, it's going, what they're going to, although it can apply to all kinds of people, it's going to be more, I feel like it, and the majority of the people that are going to want that kind of training are going to be young, young, fit men that want to fight, want yeah. to go after it, you know? That's how we got American kickboxing in the blood and guts karate era. You had a Chuck yeah, Norris absolutely. and yep. Bill Superfoot Walls, these athletic young men with eclectic martial arts backgrounds. Bill was a, actually a wrestler and a judoka first. Yep. And then he found his way in into kickboxing because of a catastrophic injury to his knee. Yeah. Um, Chuck Norris has trained at all whatever he could ever want to train in. He's trained in. Yeah. And all these guys, Skip uh, Mullins and stuff like that, these are all guys from um, uh, Japanese and Korean martial arts background who wanted to freaking bang it out because they're a bunch of red-blooded Americans. And that's and what Americans like to fight. Them. They like to box. They like to wrestle. And so yep. they said, hey, this karate thing's cool. Why don't we do that? And that's yep. where, you know, Joe Lewis and all that, that's where kickboxing came from. Sure. So yeah. that's that's how it is. That's the way we are. Young men, um, now young men these days tend to have uh, a little more education too. And, and a lot of us are like into the sports science stuff. So I think it's, a, it's yeah, it is. You're, you're right. It's a good time. It's a good generation where yeah. we have sweep. We, we have more cross-training opportunities earlier in our lives a lot of these guys were already you know 25 30 by the time they were they were learning sure. they were cross training we have way more you know with youtube and all that stuff we we've gone through you know maybe maybe it took chuck norris 40 30 years to come to the conclusions he's he's come to but for us by the time we were 25 30 years old we were we already because we had that that information right we had the information sure. that cross training we had those perspectives already to consider yeah and um I felt like yeah. it was too long. I wish I had been doing this stuff in my teenage years, but me too, um, man. Yeah. But yeah. You know what? My kids, the people I teach, my own family, when when you know I want to get them to martial arts too, uh, you know, when when that when that when that time comes and everyone I teach, the next generation, um, they will have they will have the all the optimizations and improvements I've made, they will have, and then they can take that and continue to, to improve that. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's one thing about Ian and the great uh, idea he ex I was exposed to of his, I wouldn't be surprised if you're familiar with it, is that he said that the advantage that karate has over other arts, I think sometimes, is that it just can apply to such a wide range of people. And that's what I was kind of saying about the Muay Thai gym. I love the place. It's a great place to be. You can train there if you're older, you know, less athletic that person but i feel that like that kind of training is going to primarily appeal towards young strong yeah. men that want to fight and martial arts is bigger than that you know that's where the self-defense and you i mean from the jiu-jitsu community you probably can appreciate that a little bit that you know there's a lot of like 45 year old dudes out there who don't want to be kickboxers and stuff like that but just want to learn some practical effective training right mm -hmm. that they can do three or four hours a week that's going to you know help them to defend themselves and their own that whole thing or you know they and they also just want to stay in shape they want to be physically active they want to be a part of a community want to be challenged you know? yeah these are all important you know, drivers that 
but lifelong that, martial artist discount, right? Because sure. I want, we want, you know, as I've gotten older, my, I actually appreciate these things now. But when I was a kid, I was like, yeah. dude, you don't want to do self-defense. You don't want to, you don't want to do kickboxing fights. You just want to challenge yourself. What is that? What is challenging sure. yourself? Now I'm like, actually, I understand. Yeah. No, the, I got the delight of just learning a skill set for the sake of learning a skill set. And then people are uh, 45 year olds willing to pay a lot of money to sure. challenge himself with a new skill and break a sweat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that, you know, the, the I'm, it makes me excited to think about the future and, you know, with like the stuff I'm doing with the Nahachi project. When I think about down the line, as I continue to refine my approach and I make it more chairman, I feel like I really, you know, there's the potential to be able to offer to the community that I'm a part of, you know, to be able to offer a way of training that is rooted in the past with the forms, right? So it has that connection, that cool mm-hmm. historical aspect of it. It's practical, meaning, you know, they're learning long and close range skills that will work against, you know, real resistance. It's good for their health. So I'm not going to be, you know, I don't plan to do like the combat sport type thing. I'm not training people for kickboxing matches and stuff. You know, it's like, and I feel that like, that's something, that's what the traditional martial arts should be, right? You know, that's what I think it can be. That's what I think people like Ian have really done a lot to work towards. And I'm really excited just to be a part of it. You know, I think that, you know, we, we like, did never want to look at the past and be like, oh man, I wish I'd start doing Muay Thai when I was 16. I wish I'd start doing <laughs> when I was 16. Cause it's easy yeah. to do that. It's easy to do that. But it's it like, is. Hey, you know yeah. what, but you know what I got instead? I got a very, very intimate knowledge, knowledge of what, people train martial arts for you know the Mm. the wide variety of reasons for that and i have a very intimate knowledge of the way that it's been practiced in the past and the deficiencies that have come with that and i have a very very good idea of where it can and it should go in the future it's like these are these are i've devoted my life to pretty much gaining that experience and it's easy you know like i just i don't want to glamorize combat sports too much as much as i respect it and i want to learn it like i want to train with these guys i want to learn from them and stuff like that it's like i also want to kind of be like yeah but martial arts is bigger than any of those one things right you know it's like there should be a bit of everything i want to teach my young kids how to fight and compete and point fighting is what i know it's what i have a lot of knowledge with yeah when they get a little bit older i want to stop prioritize they can continue doing that if they want but then mm-hmm. that's when the practical self-defense side of things again you know becomes a bigger part of what they do and if they keep training i'm 30 years old 10 years from now my body's gonna be different 20 years from now my body's gonna be different at some point you know the training just kind of becomes hey man i'm doing this because it keeps me physically active yeah and you know you never know what's gonna happen if i want to be an older guy that can still throw a punch as in if somebody yeah. tries to harm me or somebody i love i do have some skills that can measure up to it but at the end of the day my day-to-day training isn't as much for that as it's just for my health and you know i think that i have the i think people like you and i are in the are in a position where we can develop curriculums like that that really serve the greatest number of people you know yeah and i think i think people in the generation before us took a lot longer to come to this conclusion i think that that so a lot of them are like 50 60 years old and yeah they're like yeah i just moved now i just moved so to to stay in shape now but they came to they had to naturally get to that state i'm not at that state yet you and i are still young so 
Yeah. I've come to appreciate that before getting to that, that position because of um, the amount of information I've been, been privy to, to study and consider and, and to be able to, to empathize and understand where people come from. And, um, uh, you know, we've already rid ourselves of the illusion that everything has to go back to practical self-defense or everything has to go back to combat sports. Sure. Um, I was trapped in both of those. And, and you know, from listening to a podcast, I'm a huge proponent of, of combat sports. Yep. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I think it's a driver behind honest training. But um, and, and, I, and I think that point sparring karate and Olympic sparring on an amateur level is a happy medium that is accessible yep. to people and safer to people than contact kickboxing, Muay Thai, uh, yep. you know, submission, you know, MMA and professional submission wrestling. Um, it's like Brazilian jiu-jitsu in that somebody can train for three months. A regular adult can go to a white belt division, train with somebody who's just, or compete with somebody who's just like them, accomplish something. Yep. And, um, and, and actually have that competitive spirit and that team spirit with your, your, com- sure. your comrades. And, you know, that's important and meaningful. And, um, that, that is important, but I understand what, what, what you, where you're coming at. And I don't think that it's in doubt at all. I think if, if you're, if you're, if you're focused intentionally and, and with, and you know, the reasons why you're focused on these types of live training around, uh, more like, more like, uh, you know, or, or kind of more like self-defense training. Yeah. That's not a problem because everything is oriented towards that. Those are ex- getting good at those dynamic exercises. Yep. What the problem that crops up is when you're trying to be, uh, you're trying to expand the curriculum and you have to do everything you have to do. You have to be good at the one steps. You have to be good at breaking. You have yeah. to be good at the, the kata. You have to be good at the sparring and oh yeah we'll also throw in the kata base sparring too somewhere in there and we'll get yeah. we'll get to that you know in the last five minutes of the class twice a month right yeah it's too much and yeah. it's it's too much it's not it's terrible like if you tried to be like a professional educator and put together a lesson plan that isn't oriented you would get shredded but this is of course okay in traditional martial arts to have a class that has 80 different things going on um yeah uh- yeah, yeah, that's I, danger. yeah, and you know, I yeah. appreciate you saying it because you know it's something I need to remind myself of too. That you know, it's that you can't. And I, I even said it earlier. You know, it's like why I really one of the things that struck me immediately from about Muay Thai was just like they're very, very focused in what they do. They're doing some things that are very yeah. specific. They're not yeah. all over the place. Now, I think as a teacher, I guess the way that I see it and where I would like to go is just that. There's age differences with that, you know, is all that I would teach the beginners, you know, the young kids, not even beginners, just young kids, because adult beginners would be different, but like in a way more similar to the way I was originally taught. Yeah. And then from there, but, you know, and you bring up a really good point though, that they're just things that need to be dropped as in, Mm -hmm. and I've run into this, you know, myself to be perfectly honest with you. It's that when I still teach one steps because they're required for self-defense, I'm sorry required for testing for my students, you know, that's time I need to take. And to be perfectly honest, you know, the approach I've kind of taken is I just don't really worry too much about them being like very good at it. I kind of just teach it as a requirement. And I kind of do the same thing with the forms, the way that I used to obsess over the minutia, every movement being perfect. Yeah. Now I kind of just teach it as like, Hey, this is a part of what we do. 
I'm like, all right, that's over with. Let's get to the live stuff. You know, like, I, so mm-hmm. my typical like 60 minute class, you know, is like a 10 minute warm up, right? And then I go straight to the live drilling. It's kind of a part of the warm ups, 20 minutes right there. Then they'll spend like 20 minutes on testing requirements, right? And then 20 minutes on pad work. And, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I'd love to drop a lot of those testing requirements, you know, it's like, cause I feel like they, they, they take away yeah. from the other aspects, yep. but I don't know, you know, it's always a development process. And mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I also appreciate being a part of the community You know, I've been yeah. a part of the same organization since I was nine and they're good people. You know, it's like, it's, and it's good for my students to feel like, you know, when we go to a testing, we're there, there's a hundred students on the floor because they're coming from five different schools. You know, it's like, I, you know, although I see the issues with a lot of the training methodology that's like, you know, kind of grandfathered in, there's nothing I can do to get rid of it. I also want my students to be a part of like a local community where, mm-hmm. you know, they can go and, and, and I don't know. You know, there's always tournaments that can always... You, do you... Them. I think I, ha- I have a friend in Philadelphia. I think he's in Philadelphia. Right. Um, do you happen to know like a Jason Johansson? Jason Johansson. The name sounds kind of familiar. He, he w- I think he's totally left Hong Sudo, but he did it up until recently. He's in the Philadelphia... I think it's okay. in Philadelphia. He's around the t- that city. He was yeah, in that bet- scene with the Tong Sudo before he kind of got off into jujitsu and yeah. got stole, stole away from... Sure. I might know school that he's from. The name does sound a little kind oh, of... Oh, shoot. I don't remember what the name of it was. He trained out of like a community center or a church, I think. Yep. Where Where are you from, by the way? I am... Right now, I live just below Charlotte, North Carolina in a town called okay. Indian Trail. But I am a, originally from uh, Melbourne, Florida. So that's near the Space Center and everything. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Well, I mean, just I, I just asked because I always... I've met so many people online now that like <laughs> when I travel, I always want to look people up. <laughs> yeah, see yeah. who there's to train with and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, no, nah, yeah, th- th- I don't know. You know the Tungsudo community, it's always funny about my area. The Tungsudo is a very, very like obscure small martial art unless you're in my area. Whereas it's yep. like everywhere around here yeah. because yeah. the Murakwan moved to New Jersey. So like the mm-hmm. tri-state area, Pennsylvania, you know, New York, New Jersey, I'd say it's like, you know, there's actually a lot of tongue sudo around here. So I can't say whether or not I know this guy, but yeah, you know, the community aspect of it is important. You know, it's like, it's one of those things that it's not practical. It has nothing to do with my students' ability to fight and defend themselves, but it has more to do with just the feeling that, you know, they accomplished something, you know, like I, I'm, I'm hesitant to isolate myself to be like you know it's just me and my school you know yeah small little community on our own and then you know this like i I appreciate i appreciate that that is a mistake that i made i have been i have a friend now who i can use him to be connected to Mm -hmm. um the taekwondo scene he's been involved in the competitive scene a lot more than i have um because my comp my competitive experience more like yours is it was in point sparring and I've only sure. done like grassroots level Olympic stuff, even though that's kind of the style I, I taught and the style yeah. that I that I promote in, in practice. Mm-hmm. I'm not really experienced in the com- competition there. I understand it more from an academic perspective. And yeah. uh, one of the things I did was I just wanted to try my ideas and not be 
encumbered by the traditions of, of people. So I basically, when, when that chain I taught at shut down, I went independent. Uh, I got my in- insurance through AAU, but was like basically just functionally independent and did whatever I wanted. Um, yeah. It was Kuki Wan standard. It was Kuki Wan style. But as far as training methods, I just did whatever I wanted. As far as how I structured yeah. everything, I dropped one steps entirely. Yeah. Um, I pushed forms off to later in the curriculum. And so yeah. I just started to experiment a lot back in like 2015, 2016, when I was still teaching. And um, I lament now as a uh, not old man, but an older man, mm-hmm. the unrootedness that I have. I don't sure. have a martial arts family um, yeah. where I, I don't live where I started in martial arts. I don't, I have one really good friend that has good connections in the community. And um, beyond that, I've just don't, don't have clout, don't have standing, don't have resources and friends and connections in the Taekwondo scene. I'm just a total maverick. So, yeah, um, no, and there's a lot, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of bad to that. There's some infamy when I enter and say stuff like everything you do is wrong. You suck, you should yep. do something different. But yeah. um, and I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I got you, man. <laughs> and that's why I've, uh, I've been hesitant about. I mean, I've been part of this organization since I was nine, and yeah. you know, it's nothing personal. I like, you know, I like the people in the story. There, you know, sometimes I think family gets thrown around a little bit too much. You know, my mm-hmm. my teacher, of course, was um just a huge, huge influence on me, especially as a young person. And you know, I always appreciate that, but it's not like a lot of the horror stories you hear in other organizations where, you know, like they're like charging you a bunch of money and it's like, yeah. there's nothing like that in the community yeah. that I'm a part of. Amcor Karate is a really, really good place to be from, you know, mm-hmm. in that, that respect. There, there's but, a lot of value to that. I think and there, you're not yeah. wrong. You're not wrong to stay, but maybe you can influence, maybe you can influence the, um, the organization, you know, yeah. as, as things well, maybe consider becoming a little bit more of a tongue pseudo politician. Yeah, this, a little that's, bit. that's that's what I've wait. You know, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say though, man. That like I don't, I don't. If people don't want to do what I do, I don't. You know, expect them to. But you know, it's like the conversation that we're having now. At a certain point, when it's your livelihood, money becomes mm-hmm. involved. It's. I, I really feel that the things that I've done with Ian and with cross training and with critically, you know, quite criticizing the way I was originally taught was not like done out of arrogance or out of any sort of pleasure. It, it, it's that it has to be done. Like I have a responsibility to do that as a teacher. Right. And, you know, so I don't know, you know, like I, I it's funny that, you know, you and I come from very similar backgrounds, but that's the difference between us that, you know, I've stayed, <laughs> you know, in my community and it comes with a trade-off in that I can't, just teach whatever I want. And um, I can, I, I can teach whatever I want, but I mean, like at the end of the day, when my students show up for testing, yeah, they're expected it would be a disservice. To yeah. They, yeah. They need well, to rank they're up. expected to do what, and I, and I'm proud of it too. I mean, like my students, not only do they do that, they're, they measure up to my peers. You know, my students are not bad. I don't, you know, kind of, I take that seriously, you know, but at the same time, you know, I think as more time passes, the bigger issue. And like, I mean, and I, I'm always 
a little bit hesitant to say these kinds of things, but they're true. You know, it's that most of my peers in this organization are older guys that 20 years from now, they're going to be retired or retiring, you know, 30 years from now, they're not 30 years from now when I'm 60, you know, I still want to be teaching. And yeah, I really have a lot of concern as to where the traditional martial arts are going. I mean, we've seen it even in my adult life, like I remember when I was like 18 and I first started teaching, there were a lot more adults around. Like it's, it was already starting at that time that, you know, it was starting to be mostly kids in karate and Taekwondo and stuff like that. But I've seen that accelerate a lot in the last 10 years or so, you know, it's, it's, and Whereas this is not an issue on the horizon with some of the older generation, because they're literally, I mean, they'll, they're not going to be around, you know, 20, 30 years from now, but I am. And, you know, like if I'm going to continue to make a living doing this, I feel like at a certain point, of course, at the, the, mo- the biggest motivator is always, I want to serve my students better. Like that's the biggest thing as individuals, as in like, I really want them to be getting something out of this that improves their life. And produces the kind of ability that we say it will, right? Yeah. You know, like that yep. means a lot to me. It's just and, integrity. Yeah, integrity. <laughs> Wrapped up in that, though, is also, and if we don't do that, I feel like we will be replaced by jujitsu, by Muay Thai, by places that do it better. Among, so among uh, yeah, among adults, I think there'll always be a place for children to do this type of martial arts, but among adults and teenagers, we will. Yeah. Taekwondo is already there, right? Yeah. Teenagers do it. There's a little bit of a a good competitive element among teenagers. Um, And there are almost no adults. There are almost never adult programs. Uh, Adults who train train with the kids, usually it's embarrassing. Yeah. No, it's really bad, man. And I don't know. When you say there'll always be kids, I'm not so sure. Isn't that like we have now, but think about like, so for instance, I always feel like, you know, because we're dealing with parents a lot of the time mm-hmm. when you run a commercial school. So parents still th- see some value in karate. What about like our peers? You know, because we're at the gener- we're, uh I'm 30, you know, it's like, so we're, like, I'm at the age when people start having families and stuff. It's like, where is our generation going to bring their kids? And I'm kind of concerned that jujitsu is like, and, and kickboxing and stuff, like their, ki- their kids' programs are going to grow and ours are going to shrink. There's a lot of really good reasons why jujitsu specifically is going to grow for kids because it's less violent and very accessible and safe. But I don't know that MMA programs are going to, I think MMA is more of a bubble. It's going to burst and it'll still be popular, but it's not going to be like these amateur, these amateur specialized martial arts have staying power because they're safer and more accessible. Um, But with the exception of maybe boxing and like professional Muay Thai or something, you know what I mean? But, yeah, yeah, but like yeah. karate competition and Taekwondo competition and even jujitsu competition is rough, but it's more accessible and more safe. Yeah. Um, I think they have staying power. What I'm worried about is are we so far gone right now? that People look at karate as a kid's thing that we can't make Taekwondo and karate and Tong Sudo like the 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 thing that the middle-aged man or the middle-aged woman wants to do when they want something something new a new challenge um yeah. and, and they want to learn a little self-defense on the side or whatever and yeah. 
Uh, I think I I have what I do now as a day job, which is not fulfilling for me, but it is a useful skill set is marketing. Yep. And specifically SEO, but I know a lot about messaging and and copywriting. And um, I think a lot of that is messaging. We can get people now. There are adult programs in select places. Um, I think jujitsu is a good model for that because a lot of people, it's so funny what people think is like, uh, adults don't want to wear funny uniforms. That's why they don't go to karate. They go to MMA. Well, then why are there so many adults in jujitsu, right? You wear yep. this dumb uniform and a belt. And because um, yep, when you add grappling, the uniform becomes actually functional. It's like, oh, it's wait, functional, yeah. but yep. it's not, it's, it's that they want the trappings, right? They want sure. the uniform. Yeah. What, but yeah. what brings them is first of all, good marketing. Second of all, um, it's challenging and competitive. You're not yeah. in the air. Yeah. Like yeah. a, like a, I think it looks cool, but for somebody who's never done martial arts, that's the stuff that they use. They go, you know, exactly. Yeah, the noises and make fun yeah. of you. It's, you know, like that, the, the messaging needs to sh- change. It's not about the uniform. The uniform could actually be helpful. People like that stuff. It's yeah. about, um, is it a challenge? Is it, is, does it conform to the drives that adults have to, to do martial arts? And that is fitness challenge, self-defense, um, learning a new skill set is surprisingly high. There's actually research on it. Just yeah. learning a cool new skill set um, is a huge, which is bizarre to me as a lifelong martial artist, is just a huge driver for like for young people that are like in their 20s and 30s to do martial arts. It's just to get skilled at something else. It's like if you yeah. wanted to be like, you know what, chess is cool. Why don't I, why don't I, t- I should take some chess lessons and just get better at chess. You're just doing that for you. You're yeah. not doing that because you want a black belt. You're not doing it because you want to be a master. You're not doing it because you're going to kill people in tournaments. Um, you just want to get better. It's interesting. And it's a skill set you want to learn. And um, you're interested in getting better at it. It's a totally internal reward system. Yeah, man. And, um, hobbies, man. And it's yeah. something that um, I think sometimes we can, our, our culture can be a little bit too workaholic that we mm-hmm. treat, we treat hobbies like something that's just frivolous. When yeah, it's, workaholic it's not, and insular. We don't understand yeah, what normal people think at all. It's not, but it's not the case. You know, hobbies like really. I mean, I to give you a little bit of a background. My my grandparents helped me open my school, and um, when my grandfather's health started to fail, I moved in with them because um, they needed they needed somebody able bodied. My grandfather yeah. had dementia. He was he was very yeah. ill for the last parts of his life. Yeah, and anyway. Something I learned from living with elderly people is that if you're lucky enough to make it that far, it gets to a point like there's not a lot left in your life. It's like you have your family, right? If you're lucky, you might have some hobbies that you've kept up with, but most people don't. My grandparents didn't. Mm. My grandmother's still alive. She doesn't. I mean, they just sit and watch television all day. Ah, Yeah. It's 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 horrible. I mean, again, that's the real pandemic. yeah, old well, people I mean, watching I, television. But you and I, like both, I, I, I also have a great appreciation for combat sports and everything. But this is kind of what a big thing I'm talking about, where it's like it's not everything. It can't be everything because it's like, it's like look at Tai Chi. It's like mm-hmm. look at yoga. You know, it's like there are other cultures. The West doesn't really have this. We kind of treat in the West like all athletic pursuits or like young people activities, but that's not true everywhere else you know and that's where i look that's where i find interesting about something like tai chi that it's like it's related 
to like, you know, like hard style karate, right? To some extent, right? You have like mm-hmm. some, like some shared lineage, but it's just like, how yeah. do you actually continue training when you're 80 years old? Yeah. It's like, I think there are some cultures that have come up with an answer to that question. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like, it's great. Like I look at the health of my own family, my own grandparents. I'm just like, that would be, unfortunately, it's kind of late for them now. My grandma's 87 years old, 88, 88 years old, but she's at that age where it, be hard for her to pick it up now, but I'm sure if it's something that she had been doing for mm-hmm. decades before this, her health would be so much better now. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like you always have to ride, and that's what life is about is riding, you know, those fine lines that, like, I think there's a danger to being the jack of all trades martial artist because then you're never really good at anything. And I can appreciate that from combat sports. I'm like, hey, these guys are just really, really good at something very specific that they devote themselves to entirely. You know, it's like there's value to that. But at the same time, I do think, and this is Abernethy's idea about what karate has to offer that other arts don't as much. It's already built into the structure of the art with things like kata and hyung that it can be, depending upon where you are in your life, whether you're a young child or a young adult or a middle-aged adult or an elderly adult, you can practice karate in a way that suits your needs. It's like for you and I, for instance, like we're never going to be satisfied being 30 year old, you know, men just doing like forms without application, without anything Mm -hmm. like that. But like, if I'm, if I'm fortunate enough to still be alive and still be healthy enough to do so when I'm 80, if I can just walk through some soft repetitions of Nahachi, that's like an exercise routine that I do every day. (laughs) It's like, that would be amazing. You know, it's like, so I'm not trying to bash it. It's just like, the problem is when you have like young men just doing forms without application obsessively. Yeah. It's it's a waste. It's a waste of, of, of their skill building ability, their athleticism and practicality. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm old, I hope I can do friggin', you know, I'm 80 years old. I can bust out like a Hansu or an Ilya, which are like eighth and ninth Dawn Taekwondo forms. Right. Yeah. Those are forms that are built. They're, they're, they're like very balanced, intensive forms. They almost seem built for trying to keep old people, you know, sharp. Well, so yeah, yeah that, I do hope at that point, but that's going to be, that's a very different, you know, I think I can, I'm going to be able to spar all the way through my fifties, probably, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. No, um, and even then, and it depends, you know, that's why the low intensity work I think is really yeah. important that you can keep doing it. I think for a long time, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, familiar. I've I here heard stories about Helio Gracie that, you know, like the sparring that he mm-hmm. would do when he was like mm-hmm. old is he would just shoot, he would just like pull out like a young fit blue belt or something. And yeah. they would just roll to try to survive. Yeah. yeah. He would just be like, just try to choke me out and I'm just going to defend like that. So I don't know, you know, you can be creative. There's all kinds of things you can do with mm-hmm. it. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's been really nice talking to you, man, because people like us should be asking these questions. You know, I think so often it's kind of built into the martial arts. And I think a little bit of a misunderstanding of the Far Eastern culture. It's like we make a virtue out of accepting things and not never not questioning them. But, you know, we're the future. You know, like our, our seniors, our teachers, people that are ahead of us aren't going to be there forever. Eventually, it's going to be just us. And we're going to have to we're going to, our generation, like every generation before us is going to determine the direction that the art goes. And what we definitely shouldn't do 
is just not ask these questions and not approach things critically because that's a disservice to our art. And in my opinion, I think we've kind of had that a little bit Mm -hmm. in in the recent generations that came before us. And I think you can already see the very negative impact that it's had on the art. I think we need to think critically. No, we need to, and we need to come up with something that works, you know, for us as individuals, you know. Yeah, I think, I I think, I think we're about to be the old guard here in as soon as 15 years. And yeah, uh, we're going to, a lot of us are going to be in positions of directing organizations, if not directing, uh, influencing. Yeah. You know, you might have three schools, you might have a a little system of your own by that time that you're Absolutely. that you're influencing and um you know when you become like a patriarch of sorts in an area of, of a martial art you have you actually have a broader influence than you think and um there's going to be mm-hmm. hundreds of people that come out of your schools that go and influence training in other places uh even yep. if a little bit indirectly and some of them will start schools and that's the influence you had on that person is going to be expressed yeah. in that that little kingdom that they build there so yeah, it's really important. I think we should be, we should, I think, I feel this urgency to act now and to mm-hmm. try and start changing the tide and even building up, for example, something as um, innocuous sounding or name sounding as building more of a amateur option to compete in Taekwondo for adults. It's just nobody. If you yeah. go to a, if you go to a local tournament to compete, there's one redneck there that you can compete with. And his mom's there cheering him on. He's missing a tooth and he's like hyped up on Mountain Dew. And I'm from the South, so I can say this. Okay. (laughs) But um, it's. I've been to enough tournaments, man. I know exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Especially in karate, right? They all go to karate. And it's, you know, there's one guy there. He's not that good. And that's all you have as an adult. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, And I think the, the business aspect is what's, caused us to allow this side of Taekwondo and probably Tong Sudo now too, to just be in a state of disrepair where there's no option for adults who want to do, who are perfectly willing to do jujitsu, kickboxing, whatever. They're just perfectly willing to do Taekwondo too. If there was just that, that extra challenge element, whether it was just sparring in school or opportunities to compete a little bit, um, you know, locally on an amateur level, but the opportunities aren't there. Right. Yeah. No, the I well, you, know, you, you know, you lost that podcast with Les Bubka. He, um, and you know, he actually, actually, he's just competed in it. I actually know the guy who runs the organization. I forget. There's a long acronym. I think it's like practical karate PT, P, PKATA or something like that. Anyway, there are practical karate guys who are trying to create a method of competition. Mm-hmm. Right. No, Les has competed in it before. That's what I saw with it too. There's a guy named um, Douglas McConnell. His name is Doug. Ah, the worst. I wish I had his name on hand. But Doug, I'm sorry if, if that's not your last name. But I met him at one of Abernethy's residential seminars. Great guy. Really nice guy. Comes from a uh, goju background. His organization is called Shogun Practical Karate You know, in the UK. But anyway, he... Is the director of these tournaments. I, I would like to travel to the UK to attend one of them, where it's essentially it try it's a competition format that tries to hit like the full spectrum of like practical karate training. So when you go there, you compete in like six different divisions. So there's like solo forms, 
there's compliant application, there's cata-based sparring, there's pad work, and then there's like, um, you know, like, like mixed martial, like, you know, like long range. Yeah. All right. I, uh, well, the one I'm missing would be like, they would do like also like, like typical karate point fighting mm-hmm. too. So there's kind of like five events that you can compete in. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so that you're like awarded medals in each event. And then there's also like the overall champion in your division. Yeah, that's real. That's a cool concept. I think the intricacy of it is probably what's going to kill it. I I don't, I hate, I hate to be, I hate to be negative, but I think you need one or two. I think you really need one modality and for, to focus on. Um, yeah. If you want something like that to take off, because I don't think you're going to get schools to train for all those events like that. I think the idea behind it, and, are, and, then, and like I said, I just want to try it out. You know, I don't you know. And you might be right. You know, I think that is a lot. It's just more so that it's looking at the whole martial artist, right? It's that yeah. it's from the assumption that, you know, okay, obviously you don't want to get in a kickboxing ring. That's why you mm-hmm. want to come to this tournament instead. Yeah. So it's just taking the parts that are already a part of your training, right? So like, for instance, hmm. the big issue with point fighting is like, you're never hidden hard, right? You know, maybe for good reason, right? Because the whole point is like, hey, the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to compete in a way without full contact fighting, right? We're like, okay, but we also have the event at this tournament where you hit the pads though. So the judges have to look at like you, it's the concept of the training matrix. You know, the idea that nothing that we do in our training is going to really be realistic. There's always a break from reality. Yeah. But if you put all of the aspects together, it kind of covers everything. And that's the idea of the competition the same way. But anyway, I mean, whether or not it's something in the future that could um, really take off, I don't know. But I, I think it's worth it. It's something I'd like to explore, you know, yeah. because there's no I harm in trying it. I appreciate that because it's in my background. I appreciate that I have that competitive experience in my background. I appreciate how that makes you a better martial artist. Mm-hmm. But then there's always just the question of, you know, it's like, all right, like the close range clinch fighting that I do is like the Nahachi project based stuff. It's like, how do we compete with that? Like, I would love to figure out a way that we could have competitions with that. But like, yeah. how do we go beyond just, this is the live training we do in the gym, which is, which is key, which is important, which is maybe enough. But like, how do you go that step farther? Because you know how it is. You competed at all. I was like, I always felt like I'm, I always felt like a beast in the gym. <laughs> well, I'm training in the school. You get out on the competition floor and suddenly I'm like half as good as I thought I was because it's exactly. all, you know, it's the mentality that really matters. And I think, and if you want to talk about practical skill sets, I mean, what's more, what there's something again that the founder of our organization said to me once that stuck with me where he said like, you're only really good at something if you can do it under pressure. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how well you can do it when you're comfortable. It's only when you know you're put on the spot. It's like okay, let's see how good you really are. And yeah, you know, that was his endorsement of point fighting a little bit. But I appreciate that's a very, very good point. That you know, at the end of the day, put it, we have to put ourselves under pressure to develop those that next level of skill, right? And you know, forget competition. I mean, what's, what's high, a higher pressure situation than a criminal assault, right? You know, yeah. it's like, that's, it's, it's good. I, I would argue it's practical. Like if you want to say you practice practical karate and the way a lot of practical karate people will just like, you know, just talk, talk smack on point fighting like all mm-hmm. day and just kind of like, yeah, but wait a second. Like, you know, that like 
just the mental aspect of competing, right, is really valuable, right? Yeah. Like I can tell you from my perspective, like because you know, well, a lot of time when you when you train in these in these circles, it's like the people that never that don't do that. I have, and I feel like it puts you at a little bit of an advantage having that in the back. Yeah, the, the fundamentals don't change. Manipulating space, recognizing openings, and timing counters and attacks are that doesn't change much between competition types right and then yeah. it doesn't and that, that 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 those are the same kind of skills very very closely related to the skills that you need actually really identical to the skills that you need for self defense albeit the range might be a little bit different right sure maybe yeah, it's closer or or, yeah but i feel like the big thing is just mentally you know it's like yeah i'm going to put you on the spot you know it's like i'm going to try to hit you you're in front, you know, and it's also the, I guess the embarrassment behind it. I mean, I don't know, you know, listen, I was never the best competitor. I was decent. You know, it's like when I would go to tournaments, and I would fight with the guys that would win the national championships. Like I wasn't a pushover. Like I could yeah. fight with them. And I was like one of the guys that they had to beat to get that gold medal. But I very rarely kind of came out on the top. I was like a career silver silver medalist. Like, <laughs> you know, like that, that was my play. And, you know, I don't know. You know, like, I think that it's given me, I, 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 I'm not trying to be self-deprecating because I think that the organization I was a part of, I was fighting with some guys who were really good. But there are a lot of specific competitors I faced a lot of times who were like did the NASCAR circuit and they were, they were pretty successful there with that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So they were good. They were good fighters. But I was never, I was never that good. But um, the point of that, though, is just that, like, I can appreciate that, you know, people react, I, at least me personally, people react differently when they're under pressure, when, when you're nervous, when, you know, it's do or die, when it's like, are you going to get, like, are you going to embarrass yourself in front of a bunch of people or are you going to get out here and you're going to do something you're proud of today? It's like, that's not, that's something that people need. You know, it's something I really appreciate the experience that I have with it. And I'm sure you can probably you probably agree because you you're advocate for competition in a similar way. It's something I'd really like to see the practical karate community kind of move away from is this like aversion to competition <laughs> that they yes. often have. There's, there's like still some remnants of the like too deadly to be used in competition. Yeah, it's style. dirty. It's People dirty. It's impractical. Yeah. yeah. People won't say that like um explicitly anymore, where it's mm. like it's too it's too dangerous to be used in competition. But it, it's kind of implicitly still there. That's yeah. just like competition isn't important or any of that stuff because it's not real. It's like, okay, well, I know it's not like actual self-defense, but it felt pretty real when I was in there as in like, you know, my stomach. Oh, you know, adrenal, my, an adrenal exactly response. That's head. valuable. Yes. And you yeah. don't get that. Like, I don't care what you say. You very rarely get that in like a typical training environment. Like, yeah. In the, li- in the literature, that. that's called affective training. And yeah. It's an important part of, of creating a representative as in an accurate training environment. And you yep. know, if you don't ever train in an environment like that, of course you're gonna choke under pressure, you know, whether well, I mean, it's in a, you know yeah. sport or self-defense. And I'm not saying you can't have an intensive training environment. You certainly can, but I just always found just my personal experience that it's like just something about making it a competition, going out there with people who are not from your school, not from your organization, maybe like the potential embarrassment of it, the potential, it just put everything at a higher level. And like you're saying, it's like, if you can't do it when your head is spinning and you know, your stomach drops, it's like, are you really going to be able to do it when like your life is on the line? And you're telling yeah. me that like your self-defense is your focus. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, 
at a certain point, and uh, and I say this a little bit, you know, I haven't done point fighting in years, but I have thought about getting back to it. I've, all, you know, I've kind of been all over the place with that too. I've also thought about maybe getting in the ring and trying some kickboxing while I'm still young. Yeah, I, I keep, that, I keep, I keep toying. Yeah, with that. that I could still do that. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of missed the boat to ever go to like a. Uh, uh, Far with it, but I can mm-hmm. still do it just to get the expansion. You I think can that tune up, tune up some guys and be like, "All right, I'm yeah. all right," and then leave. Yeah, <laughs> just, and and again, just to, I guess maybe to, to give the counter argument to him, it's like, "Oh, you think point fighting is high pressure?" It's like you ever got in the ring with a guy who's trying to knock you out? It's yeah. like because that's definitely going to be higher than that. And so I guess maybe that's a good decision for me personally. It's like I've done the point fighting thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so I have that in my background. I appreciate it, but I haven't kind of gone to the next level. That's like, how about real full contact fighting? Like, come on, you're a martial arts teacher and you've never done that. I do think there's some validity to that to be like, you probably should. Yeah. And I'm young enough. I, I could get yeah. some experience with that still, you know, anyway, mm-hmm. but that's, that's, that's just, I don't want to, don't want to bring my own internal dialogue too much. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of that, you know, you like, I just really appreciate the the competitive aspect of it. I think combat sports, you know, it's just built right into combat sports, the need for pressure testing, yeah. the need for, for like kind of cultivating the proper mentality. And these are all, you know, it's what self-defense is all about, you know, and it's one of the big things I was saying about the Muay Thai school. Something that surprised me when I first got there was I was training with kids who have been I say kids, you know, maybe someone that may have been like early 20s. They're like people have been training for like six months and they already, you know, and I, I, I can say I'm a competent martial artist. I'm not saying that like the, the people with six months experience could kick my ass, but like it was a fight. Like <laughs> I wasn't just like dominating them the way that I would like a, a karate person with six months of experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you. I saw it was kind of like something I already knew was true, but it kind of drilled at home even further for me with that. It was just like when you have that narrow focus in your training and everything that you're doing is directly applicable to like real fighting like that. And on top of that, of course, you know, these are like young athletic guys that are game. There weren't, a, you know, like these guys probably already could kick some ass before they started doing Muay Thai when they're adding, you know, formal training on top of it. You saw the results. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I need to learn from this as a, as a teacher. You know, because this is big. It's like, you know, I don't think that I'm going to, I don't think I have any plans to like teach like kickboxing, like combat sport based thing, but I want to have an understanding of it because I think it will make me, it will make my like more martial arts based approach to training and instruction better. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a big one, but that's a big thing for the practical karate community. I think they'll like need to fully embrace that's like, hey, competition's a good thing. It makes us better, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's one of my, my big messages, but dude, we are, um, I'm going to have, I think I'm gonna have to split this up into a couple of, so we're getting, I know, we're getting yeah, a little I long in the, in the tooth here. So, um, to, to, to wrap it up, um, we're going to, we're definitely gonna have to do this again, but, um, to, yeah. to wrap, to wrap it up, where can people find you? So my Facebook page and you know, the main one you want to look for is the Hachi project, right? That's where I post videos like every week and post multiple videos and it's all application work. you know it's all live training or application work that has to do with the forms right you know and earlier on i've only been running that page since september i was like a lot i tried to stick to nahachi a little bit more strictly anymore i just train kind of whatever we're doing in class i share on that page um 
my YouTube channel is just under my name, Daniel Marino. If you search just Daniel Marino Nahachi, you'll be some of the first hits that come up on YouTube. But yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, man. I appreciate the exposure. I appreciate the great conversation too. You know, I was getting so excited the other night when I was um, going back and, you know, like check, I listened to the, to the episode you did with Abernethy a second time and stuff like that. And I just knew that, um, you know, since you come from a Taekwondo background, it just made me excited because I'm so used to being like kind of a little bit of having like a different background in the karate world, being from that yeah. Korean side of things. But would you, would you agree, by the way, before we go, that like, I think the Korean martial arts community is like a step behind the Japanese, like the karate community with this stuff. I feel like I see, I would, yes, they're more, more resistant. People. I get more, yeah. I get way more. I had, there's one guy that I've had on him and have him on again, uh, Greg Kowal. He's cool about this. He's very into the constraints led approach and all that kind of stuff I've been talking about, but everyone else, everyone else mm-hmm. dead, either not wanting to listen at all or a hundred percent resistant. The karate, and this is probably in large part due to Ian Ebernethany and some of his yeah. friends that have pushed this karate. This is like the karate community is starving for this stuff. Um, yeah. The jujitsu community doesn't really care. So sure. I think honestly, dude, especially with this episode, I think I'm niche. I'm really niching down into, I'll still have people from other styles on for sure. Yeah. Um, because I'm a cross, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a martial artist. So I'm all about cross training, yeah. but I think I'm niching, I'm really niching down into targeting um, karate and Taekwondo people, honestly. Sure. I think that's going to yeah. be my, my bread and butter audience. There is definitely, there's definitely a, um, a need for it. You know, there's definitely a, a demand for this kind of content. You know, like there's a lot of people like you and I that grew up doing this. We've started to question it a bit and we're trying to figure out how we can make it better, you know. And I'm happy to share it, you know, with people like you. You know, it always makes me feel so much better to talk to people like you just because you know it's important that we all understand that it's like you're not alone in all this when you're part of an organization where everybody just kind of wants to keep doing the same thing i've struggled with it a lot in the past you know because it feels like i'm so passionate about this it means a lot to me and i always say it's like the glitch in the matrix it's like i can't ignore it once i see it (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i can't go back i can't go back and be like, no, forms are fine by themselves. You know, there doesn't need to be like an, a real like application process for these yep. movements that, you know, that incorporates live training. It's yeah. just like, I, like, I can't, it, it's not who I am. Like I couldn't do that. It would, it feel dishonest at that point. Thanks so much for listening to the combat learning podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to leave us a review on Apple podcasts or Google podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. It really helps us out. Finally, this episode, including the intro music, is produced by Micah Peacock. Thanks in advance, and I'll see you on the next episode.